All right, settle down, people. We've got a lot to cover, and time is short. And it's doggy style. I've got another puzzle for you. Oompa loompa doompa da dee. If you are wise, you'll listen to Gas Man. How the hell do they know that I got gas? A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. Indians call him Gas Man. Get, get, get a lick of this loving. Man, you got to check it out. It'll boogie woogie on your brain. on me for making this song. Got gas on your mind. Some people have said that you're retarded. Not me. And my grandmother said to this woman... We're gonna do that gas thing? Yeah, we're gonna do the gas thing. Laugh out loud.
Emergence and Dynamite and Kerosene is the name of that tune. They're playing tonight in Phoenix, Arizona at the Sail Inn, which is a bar that's been here forever, and they are sailing away. They're closing down a kind of a big epidemic in Tempe, Arizona, where Arizona State University is, and all these bars and venues are just no longer having live music anymore. It's really sad. Something's going down. We'll have to look more into that, maybe talk about that on a future show. But right now, you are going global with gas, man. And that is me, Kevin Gassman, hanging out with you for the next couple hours. And uh, it's going to be a special day because intern Matt's not here today. Uh, apparently, he had a video shoot that he uh, was doing today. And so he gives me a text last night. He says, dude, I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you I, I can't be there tomorrow because uh, I got this video shoot. So, well, And apparently, I'm not involved in it. So thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. But what we are involved with is... Uh, but what we are involved with today is going to be a couple uh, past interviews that I've had with some pretty uh, big names, and I want to play them for you guys here today. We'll have uh, from FX Network, it's Kamal Bell. Totally biased is the show, and I got a chance to talk to him prior to that show even coming on the air, and uh, this was a couple years ago. We'll play that interview. Also, Andrew Dice Clay had a chance to speak with him, and I'll play that interview a little bit later on, and we'll start the show off with Hal Sparks, and a very funny comedian. Uh, he's always over on VH1. He always has a thought. He always has an opinion. And I'll tell you what, in this, in this next hour, you're going to hear many of them. As we discuss 9-11, we talk about drugs and the hollow moon. Yes, we'll discuss all that with Hal Sparks. You guys enjoy this. We'll be back. You're going global with gas. Man. It's 420, and it's time to get into the comedy pen where we do some comedy talk, and we have comedian Hal Sparks with me. So welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you don't want anybody on 420 to think they have to be early to anywhere. <laughs> right. Dude, what am I doing here? Was that me? <laughs> Did I forget about daylight savings time? How does this, you know? Uh, yeah, it's it's... Uh, it's in, and it's also interesting to be here on 420 right. and all things because I work with the MPP, the Marijuana Policy Project. Yeah, but I'm a non-user. I'm straight edge, so I don't. I don't. So smoke, you've never used at all. Nothing. So I've I, never. I drank alcohol in my life, much less really drugs of any sort. And uh, but but it seems really logical to me that it, what does it cost fifty thousand dollars a year to house a non-violent pot offender? Right. And with all their uh, abilities for appeal and all the necessary paperwork and extra court costs that go in, about fifty grand a year. And uh, what's the average teacher salary here? Twenty-seven thousand dollars, twenty-two thousand yeah, dollars for a starter teacher teacher's job. So you could have two teachers in a classroom for every pothead you take out of jail. Right. That budgetary wise, it just makes no sense to me whatsoever. So what do you think about the common sense of our government, which is pretty much lacking no matter where you're at? I mean, when you're looking at just the statute just pointed out, is it's it's mind-boggling that we haven't even either had a media push against it, or I'm sure there is, but there's not a lot of voices even well, drawn it, towards it. It's not about common sense. It's about an active fight against that. Because if you look at, I mean, Nixon officially started the war on drugs, right. but, but um, I forget his first name, but the guy named Wright started the DEA into a policing general usage organization because originally the DEA was set up when it was started to fight um, doctors over prescribing morphine hmm. to people it was the they were really fighting the oxycontin and oxycodone of the time they okay. were really the kind of people who bust people like Rush Limbaugh for buying 10,000 pills and you know and you know these these shopping for doctors kind of things right so they were set up to do that regulate the medical profession not people growing pot in their backyard and smoking it they didn't care either way this uh, big federal judge, uh, or uh, I think he was actually, in the, it got moved up into the like the federal bench, 
his daughter married this dude who was basically not gainfully employed, and they gave him a crap government job as a nod and a wink to this. The DEA at that time was a rubber stamp organization. They just, you know, they regulated not by cops and by busting barrels open like prohibition. They just wrote you a note and said, stop it or we'll take your license away, and that was that. He turned it into this big organization. He over ballooned the budget over the next five years and turned it into a religious calling. And then after the 60s, where people blamed pot for black people getting the rights that they got, they basically thought that white kids on dope were the ones responsible for the civil rights movement getting any ground, mm. that they wanted to stop it. It was, a, it was an act of racism to stop pot specifically because right. they and they use things like the Manson family who were by the way may have smoked pot but their whole thing was massive doses of LSD sure. and methamphetamine and coke and all right. like, like a mix of crazy psychotropic drugs that you know weren't even I mean in the ballpark of pot right so um, it gets lumped in as a class A drug with heroin and all these other things uh, and and starts a movement that it's, quote-unquote, the gateway drug, and that's how they used it as it's just as dangerous because that's what gets you there, right. which is totally false and never been found to be the case. And Nixon himself did a study, uh, you know, paid to have a study done about pot and, and its, you know, ramifications. And the when the scientists came back with it doesn't really harm anybody, there's no such thing as a lethal dose, that people who use it continue to work productively it doesn't harm production as a matter of fact some people are happier and more focused on it it has medicinal uses he shelved the report and basically had all the versions of it burned except the ones he legally had to file and and started the war on drugs do you think like you know with that knowledge being out there it's i i wonder why it's not such a big bombshell in the news that you know he hit all these nobody wants their kids to use drugs this is the main reason i mean as much as as much as you get there's legitimate reasons why people don't want you to do it. Right. And and especially kids, because your brain's not done forming. I have no problem with adults drinking, and I have no problem with adults doing any drug of their choice. But during a period where your brain is still growing, which, by the way, doesn't stop you know, in any major sense until you're 25, which is why we still have secondary education right. after school. That's why you stay in college until you're 25. Your brain is literally physically forming synaptic reasoning to that point. If you do that first and then start using drugs or whatever, it won't necessarily curtail you like a bonsai tree in one direction or another. Right. And so I think it's important to not do it until you're, you've got a sense of who you are and who you're about. Right. The problem is that's not what happens. If no. you set the, na- the date at 25, everybody is at 21. If you just set it at 21, everybody does it at 15. That's true of alcohol. It's true of almost everything. You say no to someone that's the, like, well, that's the, the way. Yeah, the, 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 no is the gateway drug. Yeah, right. It really is. Right. In mine, I mean, my first time I ever smoked, uh, I mean, I was 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, you know, just one of the things, the neighborhood of kids, we, right. whatever it is, you, you know, get a little stone, a little buzz. And yeah. It wasn't like I was consistently, I need to get high again. I need to, you know. Well, that's the thing. But, that's, that's the big lie about it. And the unfortunate right. part of it is when you tell kids that pot is as bad as heroin, they try pot, and it's not that bad. It right. doesn't kill them. None of their friends OD. Now, there's no danger to it. They think maybe they're lying about heroin, right, too. Right. Lies are actually the gateway drug. Right. You tell somebody that alcohol or, or pot are as bad as heroin or that heroin's hard, you know, smoking is harder to kick than heroin, then people go, well, then why don't then why don't I try heroin? I should be able to. I have a friend who kicked smoking. So I, the reason smoking is hard to quit is because there's more social protection for the fact that you do it. Right. You don't have to quit. People don't go, fuck, you're shooting up. <laughs> right. 
in the you're shooting up in front of me like that. There's no social. Dude, you're putting a burning thing near your face. <laughs> right. A syringe in your arm. That's why right. it's harder to quit. Sure. Because there's protection for it. People go, I'm a smoker. I'm okay. Way. It's okay. It's accepted. Right. right. Exactly. So, so you know, like fatty foods. Arguably, fatty foods are way more dangerous. It's funny when people go, you, you smoke pot or you do heroin at a young age. It affects your brain forever. And like, dude, we know that about red meat. And you're right. not doing anything about it. Yeah, you continue to eat it. Pink slime, you know. Yeah, that's exactly. Out. I mean, yeah. It's how, how can you eat a burger now? And even, uh, I mean, it's it's almost you know the curtains coming, you know, it's opening. Yeah, and it, which is good. It, it's very good. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, things that'll be exposed. I think this is a big year for that. I, you know, look, we already know about the beef. It was a big story this year. Yeah, eggs, uh, eggs, big chicken, eggs, poultry, yeah. anything dairy is, is kind yeah. of bad news for you these days. You know, well, and it, you know, and and people would go, my grandfather ate that stuff when he was young, and it didn't affect him. Well, it was different then. They right. didn't have the antibiotics and right. stuff in it then. They didn't. They literally. Those eggs were brought from not very far away. Right. You know, they were never frozen and you know, and replaced in like plastic packaging and shipped from Mexico or something. Right. You know, where there are no regulations about what's happening in the water downstream right. from a nuclear power plant. There was none of those extra factors. And then you had these massive like cancer blooms and all this kind of stuff. And then you want to pretend that that's not part of the equation. Right. Um, the problem is. People look at eating beef or something as almost like an as an identity thing, like that's what makes you tough. Sure, is I eat cow. Well, guess <laughs> right. what? It's not like eating wolf or bear. You could take a cow down pretty right. easily. You could get close to it. It won't run. Right. You could cave its head in or chop its head off, and it wouldn't. Necess- that's why we domesticated them. Right. Eating a domesticated animal of any sort—chickens, cows, pigs—doesn't make you tough. It can't. Yeah. But there, that perception is what keeps people continually just shoveling this stuff down. And, and there's a lot of support for it, there's not just from tons. industry. Well, it's, it's the peer pressure in a sense. Because, you know, when I, I've been out with a friend of mine. who was, He was an Army guy and everything, and we're eating. And, you know, he'll order the steak or something like that. If I were to like the fish or, yeah. you know, or maybe just whatever it is, anything yeah. besides the steak, i got to look. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Come on, get a steak. Did like, you're, did you're, is your manhood <laughs> on such a tipping point that you go, if I don't eat the most manly dish here, people will right. question <laughs> right. whether my penis works or my sexuality? Like right. that seems to it's Isn't almost weird? it's like it, you, like if I don't eat the steak, I might as well be wearing a dress and dancing around the room. Right. So, and it's stunning how defensive people get about that. And it's, you know, people, uh, you know, I have a good friend of mine, the guitarist in my band, Brian. He's great. He's a really talented guy. But sometimes when you bring up vegetarianism, it's it, he acts like you're an oppressor. Like, I don't want to be told by the man how to eat. Like, dude, that's not the man. The man is McDonald's. The man is, you know, all these steakhouses all over the place. The beef industry is the man. They're the ones who sued Oprah. Oprah's not the man in this situation. She's going, she made a suggestion that she, and and said she's not going to eat beef anymore because she doesn't think it's healthy. And they sued her for it. That's the man. Yeah, that's bull. Yeah, right. (laughs) No pun intended. Yeah, in the truest sense of the word. Right. So, uh, you know, to me... You got you got to be more. You got to be safe enough to be honest about stuff. You got to feel strong enough about yourself to go. I don't smoke pot. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I'm not going to. I have no interest in it. It's not my life path. However, I do think that our our the financial costs and the social costs of our war on drugs are a complete failure right. by any metric. And I know too many people who smoke or who have done drugs in the past or who drink socially who aren't a problem to society, mm-hmm. who aren't going down a dark path that's going to end up someplace bad. Right. And I, while I don't encourage it at all, I think every chemical experience that you can have on drugs is already in your brain. It just turns it loose, and there's better ways to get there. Right. That's my own path. But I wouldn't impose that on anybody 
legally. Well, I've always said, too, as far as the... Um, the pot culture, the the stoner culture, whatever it is, it's been here forever. We've, yeah. we've we've functioned on high for for the longest time. So in my opinion, it's really one of those things where the other part of society who doesn't believe in it, just to say enough, we're cool, we'll, right. we'll acknowledge you exist, we'll welcome you into our it's society. Arguably, you know. it's the same thing as gay marriage. You want people right. who don't use, you know, non-users, straight people, <laughs> to dictate how other people That's, act that has no bearing on their own lifestyle. I mean, there's no way that two gay people getting married affects your right. marriage, nor does it limit your own relationship, nor in your expression with your children. If it does, that's your weakness as in a socially awkward sense with your own family and your own community. Right. If you can't express the value of being of your feelings as a heterosexual, you have no business giving detriment to the the feelings of a homosexual, right. or, you know, or a gay person, or a lesbian, or bisexual, or transgender person, because. It's none of your business. Right. It doesn't affect you. <laughs> right. Who, who, when in Vermont, when they legalize gay marriage, runs home to their house and goes, well, honey, we have to get a divorce because marriage means nothing anymore. Right. It's ridiculous. It's, it is so weird. It's childish. You're literally trying to legislate other people, you you not feeling icky right. about something else. <laughs> right. And, and I would not impose my, my views about drugs, that I would not use them and I don't want to use them right. and I don't think they're healthy on somebody else. Because, because I of feel that. that way. Right. Because if you were out there saying uh, drugs are bad, alcohol is bad, smoking's bad, and you've never done any of those, and you're against it, then it's like, well, at and least it, yeah, it doesn't flow. Exactly. And you're, you, you also want to implement laws to, to stop other people from doing something. Right. That There are already laws that keep you from driving, riding high, whatever, right. or drunk. That's all you need. I just don't, don't run over me with a bus while you're looking the other direction, right. you know. But that's true about distracted driving or being, you know, or texting or whatever. Texting. I don't have a problem with texting, but, it, but if you're texting and you hit me while I'm on my motorcycle, right. I have a problem with that. Yeah. And there's laws against that, as there should be. You know what I mean? It's yeah. you know. There was a uh, there was a uh, commercial a long time ago, even before uh, cell phones. I remember this living in L.A. It was on TV. Um, it was so and so was driving and uh, didn't like a song on the radio, so she killed two people. Yeah. Because she got distracted from the change of the radio, radio right. right? So you think about even back then, those changes in the radio was a big thing. It's like well, now you got so many other things rolling around, you know. And this kind of goes to what we were talking about uh, during the break before people before we actually got into this, which is that. Um, you know, we're in a period where people aren't necessarily in taking what they know about the drug war and its failures or whatever and instigating. And it seems like this anti common sense thing. But these are the, really the growth pains of any society. We just haven't gotten there yet. We're right. in the middle of it. We can't get to where you can't climb a ladder without, you know, hitting most of the rungs. Sure. And these are just some of the rungs. And the, and texting and being on the radio right. in a couple of years, quite frankly, Siri or some version of it right. will be available in every vehicle, and you'll never take your eyes off the road. And your car will have automatic stopping stuff and will detect somebody coming up on you quickly. Yeah, it's um, almost that they have that now, like the exactly. reverse lights or the reverse video on exactly. cars. Exactly, yeah. The reverse cam, whatever. And and eventually that'll be standardized. Right. You'll be so used to it. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons, like, we don't have a train in L.A., and we're getting one. One of the reasons we're getting a train is because people used to have their personal moment in their car. They used to socialize, they'd call somebody on the car, or they'd listen to the radio and just have their alone moment, right. with book on tape, be in traffic. It was almost like a ritual. Well, now people have that on Facebook and on Twitter. They don't, and they have headphones. They can plug them into their phone, be listening to their own music, talking to their friends miles away on a phone. So I don't need to be driving right. to get that experience. And I, and as a matter of fact, the driving is getting in, a, in the way of me socializing. <laughs> yeah. So I would rather hop on a train and go to work every day 
like they do in New York, which they've been way ahead on, right. or in a cab, let somebody else do the driving or, or get me to work, and I can stay socially active, which is a great feeling, and we, it's new to us. So I think we're getting... We're getting to that point. Eventually, it'll become very normalized. Uh, yeah, I think so yeah. too. With all the technology, it's a matter of time before, you, like, so you can be talking to your radio and and everything. Well, else. you know, and I talk yeah. about this in my stand-up. I mean, if, if there's a single kind of topic of what I've been talking about lately, it's almost like Ray, Rick Kurzweil, who invented the sampler, uh, came up with this thing called the singularity. It's this point in the future, and he says it's going to be about 2035, but I think it's actually going to be sooner, where you couple with technology and never uncouple that humanity will become permanently entrenched in technology yeah. where uh, and it's basically going to start with nanotechnology once they find a nano uh, computer like a literally a microscopic computer that can kill any particular type of cancer right. and they inject it into your body instead of a vaccine at a very young age so instead of you know brain cancer is a problem we have we can actually dial this thing in you wave a wand over it and these computers that are in your bloodstream will go kill the whatever tumor we Set it on. We get a biopsy of the tumor on a microscopic level. We program it in the computer. The pu- computer tells these things, just go kill those cells and no others. Right. As soon as they figure that out, you will have that in your bloodstream. You will never not be a cyborg, and that's probably 20 years away. And yeah, that's, I, I can totally see that. It's uh, you know, you've, I'm sure you've heard of the Peter, uh, the Peter Principle. Is it the Peter Principle? Um, I don't know. I think that's what it is. Uh, Peter Principle. Isn't that where uh, the fail, failing upwards? <laughs> no, it's... No, it, I think it's it's the Peter Principle, but uh, I could be saying it wrong. But uh, it's basically that we're advancing too fast for our own good. That's kind yeah, of I the guess, overall. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think uh, um, we are tribal by nature, and this idea that we have 127 people we can keep in storage in our brain at <laughs> any given time is is true no matter what. Um, they said the same thing when the phone occurred, and when and I you know I talk about this in my sandwich too. But the, the idea that somehow like old people don't like new technology is just ridiculous right. because in your lifetime you've gone from dial phone to push button phone to flip phone to smartphone. They went from no phone to phone. <laughs> the leap psychologically sure. from yesterday, if I wanted to talk to someone, they had to be within shouting distance <laughs> to now through a wire, whatever right. the hell that is, I can talk to someone on the other side of the earth. Is bananas. (laughs) It is, right? It's just, I mean, wrap your head around it. That's the same as going, we now have places on the moon. There's a, there's an apartment on the moon. Like the day they have living quarters on the moon for average people, that's the leap. A vacation spot on the moon. Right now the moon is barren, except for the secret alien bases on the dark side. I saw that one. That uh, that are, (laughs) and and the fact that it's hollow. Right. (laughs) uh, Which is my favorite. I made a cheese. YouTube conspiracy. (laughs) Hollow moon? Hollow moon theory. You ever heard this? No, I never heard that. Really? Because apparently, you know when we did that big explosion a couple years ago? Which? Where we sent a, we bombed the moon. Remember that? No, like I don't five, remember that. Five, six years ago, we went to see if their water vapor came off of it. <laughs> and it was a test to see if we could do it on other planets. Right. You just let off basically a bunker buster bomb on a surface of a planet and see if that will shatter up enough thing to see if there's water particles or right. if the burn will eliminate them and make them look frozen or non-existent. And so they had to do a test, and they did it on the moon. So when they, when apparently one of the Apollo missions left, the, they they uncoupled from the base, and the base fell, and the moon's gravity was enough to pull it. And when it hit the moon, boom, it rang for six hours. Really? This big hum came off the moon. This is documented. Documented, which they believe means the moon is almost completely hollow. In- or, interesting. Yeah, All right, I see. Right, I got you. basically hollow. Right, to give that sound. Yeah. And it rang. <laughs> yeah, which is great, you know, whether it's true or not. I mean, there's a, it will eventually get to that point. Uh, uh, <laughs> 
Um, so, so to me, yes, cat in the camera, um, is the, is a, uh, it, it's just one of my favorites. You know, like I'm a, I, you know, that on the other side, and this is a whole other conversation, but UFO, 9-11 truth, whatever you want. I like, see, I uh, can get into a YouTube hole like nobody's business. I saw, I saw you on a, uh, on a, on a YouTube video about, uh, 9-11 rant, mm-hmm. uh, doing, uh, and I, I'm the, I'm the same way. Yeah. I, I look at it because I, about, uh, it was 2006, it was actually 4-11 when I had the guys on, the guys who made Loose Change 9-11. Yeah, yeah, they sure. were, they were in studio with yeah, me. Yeah, I love that. Thanks to, uh, Kara. Uh, she brought him in. She connected nice. us, and uh, we chatted. And uh, these are just normal kids in New York, and they saw what would happen. And they're like, they just didn't buy the story. Right. And, well, and, I think that's enough. And the, the problem with, quote, unquote, what's conspiracy theories is when you start drawing conclusions. You don't have to draw conclusions to say this is garbage. Right. And, and the idea that, you know, George Bush caused it or Dick Cheney was actually, you know, flying a drone with his, with his Xbox controller, you know, into the towers and right. those were robot planes and that people were, you know, unloaded in Cleveland and <laughs> right. all, all sure. the variants. None of that has to be of concern. You don't even have to go that far down the road. All mm-hmm. you have to do is back up and go, this part, building seven, building whatever, seven, yeah. is baloney. Right. It's BS. Yeah. Period. <laughs> and and so if you, I'm I stop there. I like and that's and it's kind of the same way I feel about the drug war. That's where the thing is. I don't need to go. Well, d- drugs lead to this. Okay, there's no evidence that points to that. Right. You haven't done full studies on this. This is like arguing whether hypnotism works. If you're not gonna or ESP. If you're not gonna do a full scientific study, you can't say there's no point to doing a full scientific study. That's dumb. Right. You're just you're making a conclusion, and that's the problem I have. You're drawing a conclusion from artificial me- you know ideas from your own preconceptions. That's not scientific, and I'm not there. Right. I'm not gonna follow you down that road. And if you're gonna say that the Saudis did it in conjunction with the Bush family because they wanted to blah, blah, blah. That may or may not end up being true. That's immaterial to me, though. The point is, what happened here? Right. What happened to Billy Let's start there. Let's get there. And, 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 and what is this uh, This uh, three frames hitting the the plane hitting the right. Pentagon? The most viewed building in the world, and you're not going to release full footage. Yeah, of that's a little sketchy. It's silly. Yeah. What, what are they afraid you're going to find out? That the, that the people were screaming out the windows, and you could see their faces, right. and we'd all feel sad? Right. We saw the buildings come down. <laughs> right. What are you Physically watch right. people die. Show me everything. Don't right. pretend you don't have a camera everywhere. Right. It's silly. It's Especially even, on the Pentagon. And go one more thing is uh, uh, Silverstein, isn't he? He was the owner of the buildings, right? He was the one that put the uh, the insurance policy on a couple of years sure, prior. Sure. Well, I mean, I get that. I, I mean, there's a lot of things. But see, even that makes sense to me. But if I bought that building, I'd put terrorism insurance on it too, because it's nothing but a big target. I mean, it looks like the British fu. His two <laughs> fingers pointing at the rest of the world. Right. You know what I mean? We we think the rest of the world only knows our obscene gestures. Little finger, right? But it, you know, here's the other thing. When that when those two buildings were put up, there was a feng shui expert, the guy who did Hong Kong. When Hong Kong became the financial uh, head of, of uh, Southeast Asia, he did the whole city. Um, he said when those buildings went up, they're coming down. Feng shui-wise, they cut the energy of the city. They're coming down. The they're going to fall towers? or be burned down. Really? Or somebody's going to knock them down. But on a metaphysical feng shui level, these can't stand for very long. He said they won't last 40 years. And he was right. Interesting. That's that's bizarre. But I mean, yeah, you on, think a, that? on a side yeah. line, you know, note of whatever else. Yeah. In Chicago, for example, they just, you know, and I'm a I'm a fan of feng shui. I did it to my house, or whatever. But Chicago had these feng shui experts come in, and when they redid Millennium Park for 2000, when they, Grant Park became Millennium Park, right. and they put the big bean there that everybody can see is called the snowball, or whatever. And it's this perfectly polished thing. It looks like a lima bean. that's in the middle of the, uh, you know, the the top of the park. 
and it reflects and rounds this knife-pointed building that faces the park that kept everybody out of the north part of the park, energetically speaking, according to Feng Shui. As soon as they did that, the park is alive like I've never seen it. Really? And you can say you don't believe in it or whatever, but it happened. It's you know They built this, the, the band shell up there. They made it flowing and rounded. They didn't make it jutting and pointy like they normally do. They fixed that. Blues Fest has never been more popular, never done as well. Taste of Chicago is right. bigger than ever. People use it. And then they put these two pillars that had black and white faces, people of different races, um, every race, actually, smiling at each other. To bridge the gap between South Side and the North Side okay. of town, and now the South Side is gentrified. Nice. It didn't help out Austin, which is the Southwest part, or, which is really a bad area. It's right. the worst part of Chicago, unfortunately. That needs to be the next thing, and they're working on that, I guess. But insofar as you know, watching that happen, but it was interesting to me that those two the twin towers, people were like, no, not going to stick around. And as soon as they were put up, you remember the towering inferno came out. Right. And it was really in reference to those buildings because it looks exactly, you know, false the, with so yeah, square, squares, yeah, these, these Soviet buildings. Because right. at, at that time we were just entering the, you know, we were really hardly into the Cold War, and we were building like them. Everything had to look Stalinistic and right. strong. You never, you know, the 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 Gothic Empire State Building seemed weak by comparison to these bricky right. Nazi and and Soviet buildings that we got used to seeing as the implementation of strength. Right. So these buildings got built as these big cube things, to as an fu to the rest of the world. You know, interesting. And yeah, it's just that's, fascinating to me that, that whole thing. But insofar as like that stuff, I just want to look. I you know, let's have a real look at it. If you can't, if you're not giving me a full look, and right. then you're telling me um, it's BS for me asking, then I've written you off. I'm not interested in your conversation. The same thing with the drug war. Right. Same thing with all that stuff. And like I said, I come at it from a non-user point of view. I have no dog in this fight at right. all. I'm not fighting for my own rights to be able to smoke in my home like a lot of people are accused of being if they fight for those rights. I've just looked at the paperwork and gone, none of this adds up. You're not convincing me at all. And if you're going to convince me, you better get to it because yeah. you don't have the evidence on your side. Yeah, they just give you a cookie-cutter excuse. And right. Here it is. This is the reason why. And, Go yeah. on with your own business. Keep shopping and, and doing and, everything and My else. message, arguably, is kids don't do drugs. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's it's as fundamental as that. Right. But I'm doing it from a point of honesty as opposed to you know, uh, lying. And wait till you're an adult. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Wait till you're an adult and make, a, make an adult decision. Right. You know, no, save your brain from any kind of alter. You know, and, and it should means, go with religion too. But that's another. Whole, that's oh, another yeah. well, religion is the drug of choice. <laughs> that's another story. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we have Hal Sparks hanging out with me here in, in studio. <laughs> it's too bad we're not talking about anything substantial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let's get to some substantial stuff here. Yeah. Uh, Hal Sparks is performing tonight and tomorrow night over at the Tempe Improv. Seven thirty and nine thirty are the shows. It's a two day event here in town. Um, uh, real quickly, I want to go. I, was, I, was, I read a story about Wikipedia. It said sixty um, percent of the stuff on there is false. So is your real name Hal Sparks? It is. Yeah. <laughs> is Hal short of anything? Um, no, but my whole, whole name is Hal Harry McGee Sparks the third. Right. Okay. Yeah, but Hal is my is my real first name. Nice. Um, I don't know anybody who would necessarily take it, considering how it's used in media. Most of the guys named Hal are bad. You know? <laughs> who else is bad? Uh, well, yeah. Hal. Like, yeah. Hal Linden. That was Barney. He Miller. was an actor. Wasn't he Barney? I mean, Miller? the character names. Okay, right. I you know what I mean? Okay, yeah. character memes. Yeah, I mean Hal Jordan's my one. You know, it ends up being your, you know, Green Lantern. Okay, it ends up being your one hope. <laughs> your one media. hero, right? <laughs> um, but you get shallow Hal, and then every guy shallow named Hal. Hal is like the 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 smarmy husband of the guy of the girl that the guy is trying to get. Right, right. Why is she dating that guy? <laughs> right. That's that's Hal. <laughs> so and Sparks is a verb and a noun. So. Um, you know, my dad's name is Harry Sparks, which is like some weird <laughs> mental picture. I don't even know what that means. But 
but yeah, that's sixty percent. And we're being bombed. Apparently, <laughs> hold R- on. We're on the. They, uh, they're on to us. <laughs> yeah, they'll believe me. I'm sure the FBI knows who I am. Uh-huh. Even having those nine eleven guys in studio, I'm sure they're yeah, sure. marked. Here's the thing: is the FBI is full of people who would would shut the door on that stuff in a in a second. They think that those guys should be waterboarded. And then there's other guys in the FBI who absolutely are against that and think there might be something to it and would love to follow it down. That's the right. thing. The, the FBI, like any other government government organization, is it matters who runs it. Right. When people go, the government did blah, 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 the hell with you. That's right. a, that. I hate that as much as I hate the idea that, you know, uh, the, the, the you know people say there's nothing to, you know, 9-11 and that drug laws should be, you know, right. more. Because you're not listening. You're, not, you're, you're making blanket statements. Well, and, yeah. Well, that's what uh, Nixon did. I mean, since I, if, he, if he didn't have a thing about the drug war, there most likely wouldn't be a truck roll right now. Right. I mean, we don't know. No, there, someone, would be, there would be varying degrees. He was the guy who was going to do it. It was a timing thing. No matter right. who so was in someone office. Someone was going to do it. It was going yeah. to get to it. That was, was, a, that but was, was again, I'm sorry, but it was, yeah. one, there was that one guy maybe who did the DEA a long time ago who got so overzealous yeah. that he said, that's it. We're, there was an we're anti, ending everything. You it was know? an anti-counterculture movement in the button-down quarters of the government in the late 60s, early 70s. And, and, and in many ways, some people believe that there was a sweep where they wiped, they killed everybody who was, you know, emblematic of the counterculture. Um, you know, there's some people believe that they seeded Charles Manson, that they, you know, helped him get, you know, his ins and sort of coordinated that a little bit. Right. And that they killed uh, Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison and all the, and Medgar Evers and Mal, you know, Malcolm John X. And, probably, and, yeah. Well, John Lennon was a later collateral damage thing. They right. couldn't get to him at the time, so they clean up later. Same right. plan, blah, blah, blah. Okay. There's a lot of belief about that, but the point is there was within the government, in the, in, in the J. Edgar Hoover quarters of things, this anti-counterculture thing. They really didn't like the idea that black people were getting rights. They didn't like the idea that women were getting rights. They didn't like the hippie culture pushing for it, and they wanted to shut it down. And one of the ways they did it, and the easiest way they could do it, was implementing the drug war. Right. Whoever was president at that point, the the countervailing pressure on them from all government agencies it was coming. Was coming. Right. Right. So even if it had been Kennedy to some degree, there would have been some variant version of the drug war. Sure. It's uh, it's it's sad to think that you know just because some people have some fun and and living a decent life, people say no, you can't do that. Well, you know, they, we're going to put a stamp they, on that. But you say. look at you know. The fear of you know you can actually give them a little bit of leeway though and understand where they're coming from and their fear and where it, where it was rooted because here come people who fought uh, the Nazis in World War Two they come home they have the fifties they just want to act normal nothing's normal white people and black people have different fountains in a lot of places women can't you know are really suppressed you know there's but we're all acting like this is norman rockwell just hang on for just don't (laughs) upset the apple cart we just got back from the war and we were fighting nazis and we're fighting the, the communist infiltration you know was the big fear right so here come Less than 10 years later, you got to look at the timing of this. They just fought the war 10 years later. 10 years after that, when they're just kind of getting normal, hmm. their kids start going, I'm sick of this normal crap. They have basically what is their grunge movement at the time. Okay. And they start looking at this going, yeah, you're acting like everything's perfect and everything's going well, but you and mom sleep in separate beds and she's drinking right. a lot. <laughs> right. And and you keep calling black people boy, and I don't I think that's right. Right. And and because of bust integration, I'm knowing them and I'm realizing what you told me about them isn't true, right. that they're every bit as smart as I am, that they're every bit as kind as I'm capable of being. And so you have this 
pushback where the kids just go, I'm sick of watching Westerns on television pretending I live in this Norman Rockwell right. painting. Right. And then drugs become a part of that on college campuses. It becomes a natural expression. I'm bucking what I say. The, the, the backlash is so the other direction that I want to fight normalcy so bad I'm going to take LSD. Right. <laughs> because it's so, you know, you so, wouldn't necessarily do that if the lie wasn't pushed so far in the other direction. True. It's like a rubber banding right. pull. Sure, absolutely. They saw that happening. And then the hippies start talking about communes and living together and everybody should be protected and blah, blah, blah. And that sounds like communism. Right. Which helped the Third Reich, in their mind, get... You know, and, and was bu- and was moving into the government. Here come the communists again from the early part of the century. My grandfather warned me about the commies getting in, and, bo- and they start panicking about mm-hmm. it. And they start, we got to shut this down. And then, what did all the guys who were in the in the military and in the government who were fighting the drug war look like? They all look like fifties cops. Right. <laughs> And nerds. They all and, look like right. that. Yeah. Right. They look like Pocket the, protectors. Right. And, tie and, the, and the thick neck cops who right. who didn't like it, who wanted normalcy. Right. And so. But what is normal back then? Right. I mean, well, the they, it was manufactured. It was the blinders. You right. know, we're, we're living with blinders. Don't look over here. Don't look over exactly. here. Just keep it straight ahead. Everything's good. But it was because they'd come back. I mean, the war was horrible. World War II was horrible. Right. As much as people we you know, talk about it. how much. You know, yeah, glorify it, but you know how much Germany and the United States lost, and England lost. The Russians lost like twenty-five million people, their entire male workforce. You know, it's like when you talk about the small government conservatives and go, you know, the, the government needs to get out of the way of the free market because right. it was when the free market was running that we really had an industrial revolution in this country. That's when you know America became a force for productive. You know, we made we had factories, and because the government was out of the way. B.S. The government was helping them, the highest form of welfare, which was bombing the crap out of everybody's factories. Right. Germany and Japan, which are two big productive factory uh, um, companies, and, and the British were bombed by by the, the Germans. Germans. Yeah. So everybody, we were the only, we weren't on the continent, so our manufacturing sector was protected. Right. Right. And we weren't spending all that rebuilding our entire country so we could start building cars. Mm-hmm. We could start building washing machines and spreading them all over the world. Mm. Because our factories had they been bombed, do it over which there. is government welfare. Right. That's a form of government. The government organization known as the military right. bombed the crap out of our competitors' factories. That's... Now, maybe it was for a good reason, but it was a, a leg up. Yeah. Our companies got a non-free market leg up. All Ayn Rand BS aside, they can pretend all they want that it was bootstrapping that made Whirlpool the number one, right. um, you know, washing machine maker in the world. But the fact is, England was in cinders. Right. Half of Europe, every place, every country yeah. that would be building or inventing <laughs> things didn't. on that level was in rubble. <laughs> right. So they couldn't compete with us. They were back to they had to rebuild their bridges with all the steel they had. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I haven't really looked at it that way, but you're right because if they can't build it, we, we're the only ones left. So that yeah. kind of makes us the default. Right. And, and the opposite is happening now. We've been dumping our our money in the Middle East, right. bombing stuff, you know, wasting our our in, you know our intelligence and our technology and stuff, just detonating it in the dirt. While Europe has been building stuff, right? And while China has been building stuff, and they're they're getting the leg up because China was not a part of the war that we've been dealing with with Iran and with with uh, you know Iraq and Afghanistan and, right. the, and the tension in the Middle East and having to jerk around down in that area they have been you know they have a hands-off kind of mechanical you know monetary uh, investment in it but nothing that would sway them so they get to sit back and make stuff right solar panels for one yep yeah. And wind turbines. And you, you think about living here in Arizona, why, you know, this state this hasn't been set place. aside as far as like a, you know, maybe a, a, 
I don't know, like I don't know, really a like, sample state, but in a sense, like an experiment, a, an, an, experiment so, an example. Well, you kind of are. You guys have one of the biggest arrays being built here, and that's from federal dollars, as it should be. I mean, it, the other thing too is. People are like, well, you know, oil, you know, came up naturally, and we didn't have to, you know, oil companies didn't get these subsidies in the beginning. They just kind of, you know, okay. The first guy ever to be killed by a car, run over by a car, was run over by an electric car in San Francisco. He was run over by an electric car. The first cars were electric. Back in the in, in late, uh, yeah. early 1900s. Yeah. I, I saw the uh, the documentary, Who Killed right. the Electric Car? Yeah. Blows me away. Totally. First cars we were electric. electric car back then. And we had trolleys everywhere. Kills and they, me. Yeah, and the, and the oil industry just said well, this Kills is me. much easier because, it's, because going between cities was the hard part. It's long term. And they didn't want to build train tracks. So right. It was a big kind of anti-train track kind of a thing. Whatever. That's why Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged, ironically... It's like a big ad for trains. <laughs> That's why it sank. That's why that movie tanked. It's because in the middle of them releasing Ayn Rand, the tract, right. Atlas Shrugged, this is the movie that we all believe in. This is the proof of individualism. The movie reads like a big ad for public transportation. Because <laughs> you got all these like, trains are stupid. <laughs> right. you Scott Walker in Wisconsin literally killing the big train project, which would be run by private industry. <laughs> which You know what I mean? Like, nobody was making a... This wasn't a Soviet-style train that was trucking people from Siberia. You, you think he goes against it, though, just for its the ideology as opposed to totally. the actual practicality? He doesn't, they, he doesn't want to run They'll win. They'll he's, win. I, he's got a job waiting for him on the other side of this. Oh, sure. It doesn't, I'm it's sure about how much damage he can do. He's a spoiler. He's not a... He's not a but I think there's somebody in his back pocket kind of, like, you know, saying, this is what this is the direction you need to go into. Right. Because, I mean, it's, it seems almost like so bizarre, like a bizarre world, that these politicians are doing... These, they're just doing things that are so bad for the public, and it doesn't make any sense to but me. But there's, there's an ideology, and this is, again, it's ironic that people would pin progressives and liberals as the one who want to control your life, and conservatives are the one who want government out of your pocket and out right. of your house, which is the exact opposite of what is true. I mean, right. that's the Carl Rove strategy, is, is call out your opponent for what you do and take the heat off yourself right. make his strength your you know his weakness your strength right. and vice versa and uh, your weakness his strength uh, or whatever but either way just dictate um, you know what you want his message to be for him you know right. and and in their case they want small government that can't prepare for tornadoes and hurricanes and and dams and breaking and flooding all the stuff you need big government for right. military that kind of stuff you need these are big ticket items that you and I could not squirrel together if the tam, if the dam is breaking I don't care if everybody in town had some concrete a bag of concrete in their backyard and a pallet there's no way we could fix it right. in time it doesn't work that way you need to group together and start a plan you got to sure. act like an adult and it's like you know you didn't buy more than likely you didn't build your house you bought it. So there was, a, and and you want it to stay up. So you need other people making sure that there are standards to make sure houses aren't falling on you sure. while you sleep. You need to believe right. that. that's what government <laughs> yeah. is for, and it real and it's bigger than you can deal with. And you're not going to pave roads yourself, and you you know this idea. So you don't need limited government. You need gigantic government <laughs> that leaves you alone personally. Right. Take care of the big stuff. Let leave me alone. Exactly. And that's that's where I think progressives and liberals largely are. Like healthcare is a huge thing because other countries are. Moving ahead of us, they're living but, longer and healthier and that kind of stuff. Or, but and roads and trains and. But being progressive and liberal, you know, those ideas are great and for the you know for the 
for the movement of society and as a whole. Right. So why do you think people who are conservative are against that? They, they, again, they want it to be it's... the nuclear family back in the 50s. Right. They want it to, everything good, blinders on, nothing bad is happening, life yeah. is good. Yeah, I think they be, there's, a, there's a couple of belief systems in the South, and I grew, I, start, I grew up in Kentucky, and one of them is ignorance equals innocence. If you don't know about something, you're not guilty of it. Okay. And it's, it's, it, they'd That's rather scary. be dumb yeah. about it. I don't want to hear about that. I don't, right. want that. I don't want my kids to know that music. I don't want them to see that person. I don't want them to hear what he's saying. I don't want Barack Obama to speak at my school because I don't want them to, you know, because I don't want them to get the idea that he might have something to say. Right. Because I have no counter argument because I'm not paying attention either. And so they, they just, they think isolation is the key to protecting the family unit and protecting their church. And all sure. That. Because quite frankly, in the more information you get, the harder it is for big Christian churches to hang on. That's mm-hmm. why, if you notice, the movement in Christian churches has been to mega church and strip mall. It used to be, there used to be a middle class of churches in this country, 300 to 500 seaters. They were everywhere. Right. Now those are dwindling, and you have these, you know, 15,000-seat arenas yeah. and these 3,000-seaters right, yeah. that everybody drives five hours to because right. there's no church in their town. <laughs> That's bizarre. And if there is one, it's a Koresh-style mini-mall right. church. Absolutely. So literally there's a 99 and 1% thing happening in religion as well. The hierarchical right. belief system fits in there. Right. So... Other than that, I have no opinion. But, the, <laughs> but but I think that's there's an iso, this belief that isolating protects you somehow instead of leaving you ignorant and unprepared, and this idea that you know the president studying overseas or living overseas or whatever is somehow a negative oh, or no. speaking another language <laughs> or any of that stuff is seen as an intellectual mm. negative is disturbing. Yeah, it well, and it's also directly related to the fact that we used to fight the Soviets. And now we're fighting Muslims. And our, whether it's wrong or right, that's what we're, we believe our enemy mm-hmm. is as a group. When we're fighting, that's what we're told our enemies yeah, are. Yeah, right. But, and it's also what the vast majority of the folks we're talking about believe. Sure. And when we're fighting the Soviets, it was a technological war. It was bombs and spies and the, you know, and 007 and, you know, watches that, you know, you could radio somebody through and stuff like that. That was, it was that kind of a war. It was a cold war and it was a hot war with the nuclear weapons and stuff. We were testing nuclear weapons. Nuclear science, rocket science was seen as a plus. You'd snipe other people's scientists or kill them to keep them. Okay. Now we're fighting Muslims. Well, that's an ideological war. You're either Christian or you're Muslim. Right. You're fighting a religious war in this in the mentality that creates this. And if you believe that uh, you have to be you, being on our side means being Christian, then somebody who's not Christian enough or is a scientist is also might as well be Muslim in this equation because you're not helping us. It's an ideological war. I don't need science. I need you to be a true believer. Right. Because in our minds, it's a true believer versus a true believer. Right. And that's right. where we're at, where we are now. And until we drop that, we won't get back to being you know a technological power. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. China is our technological you know quote unquote enemy. They're our main competitor in a traditional sense. It, it might as well be companies, the United Corporations of America versus right. the United Corporations <laughs> of China. That's really it, you're, you're right. I mean, that's a, Google that's, and Apple and IBM and Motorola against uh, you know anything Guangzhou has to offer. Right. Interesting. Uh, have you, has your comedy always been politically inspired, or did, when did you cross that line? I started doing political comedy before I was old enough to vote. I was doing Reagan jokes when I was 17 at a political comedy club called the Clout Club in Chicago. But I noticed during the Bush years that there was this weird thing, again, because we were in an ideological war, that anybody who criticized the president was seen as the enemy as right. well. And there were people in the audience I could just see, even if they would have agreed with the point I was making, the minute I said Bush, their ears would shut like the, the doors on the 
on, in Star Wars, you know, like a <laughs> Death Star. Right. And so I was like, I need to start making my jokes about the sociological aspect of this and lead the specifics later. And that's what Monty Python did. Monty Python would leave a lot of actual politicians' names out, but they would do a character that, in such a way that you would go, oh, that's what he's talking about. Sure. So I stopped doing bush jokes and started doing jokes about guys in cowboy hats who have no cows. <laughs> and, and and then the next time you see Bush, you go, oh, that's who he's talking about. Sure. And you know what I'm talking about. And you know I'm right. Right. But you you didn't have that excuse, you know, right. that one shutoff where you can go, he's just making fun of the president. We can't <laughs> afford that right now because... The you know, Ahmadinejad is looking for us to yeah, uh, right. a hole in our armor. It's, just, it's like that's not how it works at all. That's, but that's how certain members of the audience, and right. I don't necessarily fault them for that fear because it was you know nine eleven was a shock for a lot of people, and that's fine. But that's not going to. I'd rather make my message more palatable, and so I really do deal in the socio political aspect of things and our own interaction. Because that's the seed of it anyways. Arguably, pop culture right. is how we become who we are. Sure. And Jesus was the Justin Bieber of his time. There were nine or ten guys running around pretending to be the Messiah at right. the time, right. all fulfilling the prophecy in the, that was written down in in the Old Testament because you had to. Right. If you're the Messiah, you'll do this. You'll have 12 followers, and you'll show up here, and you'll do this, and your birthday was then, and that kind of stuff. And so there were a bunch of guys running around going, my birthday is then, and here's my 12 followers. <laughs> and this is, and that was the thing. He met John the Baptist, who's his cousin, and he was doing basically the same thing. It was just that John knew that Jesus was the big dog. He was the, you know, he was right. the McDonald's to his Burger King, arguably, in that conversation. <laughs> but, but a lot of the stories that are attributed to Jesus might as well have been attributed to, you know, to John as well, because they were nine different guys, and they just right. kind of, at the Congress of Nicaea, they took the best stories and made them one guy. I, Simplified the message. Sure, absolutely. I, I, lo I just, I love the analogy of Jesus to, to McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. That's what it is. I mean, right, it's, you're it's right. Branding. I mean, that's, that's funny. The ironic part yeah. of the cross being the symbol, you know, and many, you know, Bill Hicks talked about this as a rifle or whatever. You know, it's, it's almost like when you talk about why Christians who, you know, if you believe in the teachings of Jesus, how can you be for the death penalty? Right. Well, quite frankly, without the death penalty... They wouldn't have a religion because the guy was killed by capital punishment. He right. was, I mean, he would have to die of natural causes. You, have right. like a, you know, to kind of variant on the old joke, but he would, you would have been walking around with a tissue. Would he die of consumption or something? Right. He had to be nailed up. Right, right. That's, you know, for the for, for the philosophy, it was human sacrifice. Right. They'd sacrificed a sheep uh, forever for lambs for a long time. Right. And now the sins were viewed as too great. You needed a human sacrifice to make the shift. And so it just went to human sacrifice. That was the natural progression. It was just like a drug. You, you know, first we'll just kill a lamb, then we'll kill a sheep, right. then we'll kill my kid. No, it's just kidding. Uh, we'll send a guy. God will sounds send like, his own kid. It sounds like a serial killer. Well, it's kind of, yeah. You start off killing, you know. Bloodlust. Right, right. I mean, you know, it's funny that you talk, like, you talk about uh, on television is a big thing. You know that in America, kids see 12 murders. <laughs> But a year before they're nine years old, terrible. For five years, they'll see 12 murders a year. In the Old West, right around here, they used to go see an actual hanging. <laughs> right. It's one thing to go on and see a grisly death on Law & Order, and your parents can go, that didn't really happen, it's not real. Right. This is telling a story, and you got to pay attention to the story because it's a mystery, and you got to figure out, and sometimes things like this happen to people, and there are people who help you find I mean, <laughs> Talk about that. They used to drag their kids down to watch a guy hung right. <laughs> just for being black in the wrong part of town, sure. or just being too poor to defend himself, or actually being a bad guy, and it was sort of indiscriminate. You could come down and go, we're going to go see The Hanging this week. It's like they go to see comedy clubs. <laughs> you know, to double just back what back. we were talking about. Right. But they didn't care who was being hung. You just right. went down right. after church. Right. <laughs> right. You went to after you left church <laughs> and went to, to see them string a dude yeah. up 
and watch him twitch with your kids right there. And I don't know if they turned to their kids at that point and went, now, that's why you should behave, because right. that's going to happen to well, you. Well, that's what it was. It was a fear, it was a fear-mongering. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, this is what will happen if you do things bad. Yeah, so, I mean, it's still doing it. it, it you know, the Old West is the how the Middle East is still run. Right, sure. We moved past it just because of some elements that made us, you know, we got away from certain religious right. folks. We could get away from them, because the Quakers had their way. Um, and the pilgrims that had their way, and the early religious types, we'd have been chucking women in ponds to this day. Right, sure. You know, we just move. You know, we're just graduated past it. Europe graduated before us. We're catching up behind them, and the Middle East is still kind of behind. But that's the birthplace of humanity, right? And that's where we're all. You know, the further you get away from there, the better you get. You grow up in a small <laughs> town, you might believe that you know, blacks and Mexicans and women are somehow weaker or whatever, and you move. To Seattle, you realize that's ridiculous. Right. But yeah. you had to get out of Terre Haute, Indiana, to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I went. To, I was public schooled in Los Angeles, so you know, we we people busted never. in L.A. and yeah, you know, never I, had that problem. So yeah, never did. I mean, I've, I've I was integrated. The programming takes a long time. It does, and, and you got to understand that's okay. You know, it's it's you know I've said this before, but it's like when people Barack Obama came in on a, like an idea of fundamental change, big change. Well, he's making it happen. But it's the kind of change that you won't realize until 20 years down the road. Right. That it's, wow, that was a huge pivot point. <laughs> but this is the impatience of yeah. America. Like, you well, know, what have you, you done for me lately? You're what, either you know? pill, I, I think there are two camps of people, pills or push-ups. Okay. You're either into pills or you're into push-ups. I want a pill to take the fat off or I want to <laughs> do some work. Sure. And there's big, you know, there's a huge, unfortunately, there's a huge pill camp these days. That, that's, yeah, that's the next drug war to sense. I mean, yeah. For, oh, that's, what I call a war, that's where all the danger is. That, yeah, I agree. There I mean, are fewer clinical trials on human subjects with those drugs than there have been of heroin. <laughs> Heroin's been used by people for lots of times, and you know right. what will kill you. Right. You know it's bad over a certain point. You know that there are limited doses <laughs> right. and things like that that are sort of functional, and if you use it past a certain point, you're permanently addicted, and that's a problem, right. and your pleasure centers go, and blah, blah, blah. But uh, nobody knows what the long-term effects of OxyContin is, but the, but you can look at it the second people start taking it that they can't get off it. They're on it for three weeks after right. surgery, and they're crawling, like their skin crawls because <laughs> they're not getting it. That's bad. That's very bad. Not only that, these pills are coming out, too, but a little faster. They're, they're hitting the shells. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it's just... It's, and they're not cure-based pills at all. They're all maintenance drugs. Sure. They're all meant to keep you on them for a long time. Right, right. And that's why that was a Chris Rock bit, right? Wasn't yeah. it when he said uh, there's, no, there's no money in the cure? Right. It's in the Never sustainability of it. Yeah, of that's course. That's what it is. It's keeping yeah. people on the drugs. Yeah. Keeping them sustained. Uh, Hal Sparks, uh, it's, uh, I, uh, dude, I can keep talking I with know, you forever, dude. man. Totally. I, 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 I haven't even talked about your band, Zero One. We yeah, we're music. on tour next. We're, we start on tour next week. I get back to L.A. on Monday, and we literally hop in a van and drive to the Midwest. West, and we're playing through Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan, and uh, Kentucky, and uh, and and Illinois, and just like a you know regular tour. Yeah, you know, that's great. Are you mixing comedy in on the tour? No, never. No, it's strictly music. So strictly music. Because you, I mean, you're you're multifaceted. You know, you're yeah. actor, comedian, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, musician. Right. Uh, I'm sure you do writing. You do the radio yeah. as well. So you do a lot of different things. So what, what would you label? Do you have a label for yourself? No, or you just, just no. I'm just a me. renaissance man. In a yeah, sense? well, I think. You, I think part of who I am as Hal Sparks, if you're going to define a brand based on that, is the fact that not only do I do all these things, but I believe everybody else can too. Absolutely. It's just a matter of whether or not you decide to. That's right, it. Right. There's nothing I can do that you can't do. That's why I was a big Kiss fan, you know, and still am. I remember, like, saw the decline of Western civilization, the Metal Years, yes. the Penelope Spheres yes. movie, and they asked everybody at the end. They asked, "What would you say to somebody who wants to be a rock star?" And they went through the list, and everybody was like, I don't know, it's tough, and but it's harsh. And they cut to Dave Mustaine. He literally has a one-word answer, 
don't. <laughs> and they cut to Paul Stanley, who was lying in the aerial girls. shot, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. lying with women in a bed, <laughs> right. which he was shooting for a video. They just happened to come oh, they were? the video okay. shoot, so they didn't set it up for her movie. They were doing it for the Kiss Exposed video, okay? Because all that footage that. is in there. And uh, he's laying there, and they said, "What would you say to anybody who you know wants to be a rock star?" And he said, "Go for it. Who would I? Who, I'm nobody special. Who am I to tell you you can't do something? I was a taxi cab driver in New York." I did what I wanted to do, and I was willing to work for it. I'm never going to tell you different. Right, right. And, and the idea that I could is the most arrogant thing in the world. Right. And I love him for that, and I appreciate that, and I think it's true. There's a movie called The Edge. You ever see the movie The Edge with uh, Anthony Hopkins? Oh, The Bear? And yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's le- it was written by Mamet. It's about the three stages of manhood. It's, a, it's basically a play. The Bear is almost a sub-story. Okay. The, the idea is that the young black guy is representative of of youth, male youth, and how we kind of just are, are we let our own ignorance eat us up. Sometimes we make mistakes, and sometimes we can't recover from them without guidance. Alec Baldwin just cares about money and women. He's in his mid age right. where you know it, materialism matters. Alec, but uh, Anthony Hopkins is older, book learned, and wise, and ultimately wins in the end. And he screams at Alec Baldwin to get him motivated to repeat the phrase, what one man can do, another can do, again and again. And he tells him, like, Maasai boys in the, in Africa smack lions as a test of manhood. Smack them in the face. Imagine smacking a lion <laughs> to prove you're a man at yeah. 13. Yeah. And so <laughs> the that's true down. of everybody. That's yeah. true of everybody. There's certain people who may have some sort of genetic push in one direction or another, either in intel- intellect or physical capacity. Right. But... Django Reinhardt had two fingers, you know, and he was one of the greatest jazz guitar players ever. You know, whatever it is you want, you just have to decide it's more important to you than not doing it. Right. That's what it is, man. That's and that's. I would love to pass it on for people out there listening uh, to realize. You know, when I see somebody in like in a, a job they don't want to be in, it, it, it's like it's almost sad in a sense. Well, just do what you want to do. Try. Uh, Can't you go for it? And yeah. People are held back. You know, the system holds them back. What, the, what are you going to do? Debt and all that stuff. You're going to be miserable, people. right? Exactly. I mean, you're already miserable. Exactly. And and anybody who says, "I well, I couldn't play guitar," tell that to an Iraq veteran who's coming back with one arm. Right. Tell and say, "I can't dance. I always wanted to dance, but I can't dance." Tell that to somebody in a wheelchair because they would love to have your legs for the afternoon because right. i guarantee sure. they would dance like mad yeah and i and there's a lack of the, that i think more than anything gets me riled up as far as a lack of respect for the for what you have as a gift in life and how you don't deliver right you just don't you, you just choose not to it's a the lazy reflex i have no respect <laughs> for i can't do it and the i can't i don't shoegazing kick the sand right attitude forget it there's too many people working way too hard for too little just because they love it and managed to do something that it, if, to give you any excuses whatsoever. You uh, know? That's, that's a good, good end. nothing yeah. to it but to do it, baby. That, there you go, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. But to do it. <laughs> nice, man. Well, very cool, man. I'm, so, I'm glad yeah, to meet you, man. And, uh, yeah, thank Thanks. you so much, man. I mean, of course. this is really cool. I mean, again, we can probably go on another hour or so. We definitely could. I definitely have a lot of other things I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Uh, but I did see you at Steel Panther a couple years ago. Yeah. I was in L.A., and you popped up on stage. Right. You and Corey Feldman were on there. Oh, yeah. I sent <laughs> back up for Corey. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Like, you do that once in a while, right? You yeah, get up there I with sing Skid Row with them, and I sing, you know, occasionally I'll do ACDC, although they're do- down-tuned half a step, and that's really hard to sing down-tuned half a step. You should sing it standard tuning. Sure, anyway, I mean. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a 
I'm a big metal fan. Yeah. So, and my band, you know, we're we're a metal band, but it's melodic rock. It's we're okay. I'm singing. Okay, you know, there's you, actually you play and sing. I play and sing. Yeah, like it's another step above. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I you know, one day I could not sing and play. I could not sing and play at the same time. Right. Just couldn't do it. And then I went to bed on a I busted my butt trying and trying and trying. Couldn't do it. It's like stick shift or something. Right. Just just grinding and couldn't figure out. Went to bed on a Sunday night, having practiced my butt off all day trying to get it. Woke up the next morning and I could do it. My really? nervous system just needed time to gestate or something. Interesting. And it just so, clicked, like stick shift or something right, like right. that. You just okay now. It's Figure okay. It I don't have to try as hard. And then I can get good at it. You know, and being part of this tour is you can't skip a step. You can't go from here just because I'm known. Go play bigger venues and act like it's going to be as good as if you went through the process. Right. So we're doing you know Escanaba, Michigan, and you know and you know. Peters Point, Wisconsin, right. and you know Bannock, you know whatever uh, Peoria, Illinois, that kind of stuff, um, and and throwing it against the wall, really play like it's the only thing you do. Right. If you want to do something when you're doing it, it's a very Zen attitude, but just do it like it's the only thing you do. Sure. And then the next thing you're doing while you're doing it, it's the only thing you do while you're cooking dinner for yourself or your family. It's the only thing you're a chef. It's the only thing you do. Mm. When you're watching television just to relax, that's what you do. You're watching television to relax. <laughs> right. And it's a, all, you know, as far as, but you also want to be, you know, if you want to be a rock star, you want to be an artist, you want to do whatever it is, you got to also live the life and, and believe in yourself for doing oh, that. I mean, like I said, well, because everybody will tell you negative. Right. Everybody. There's, there's so, you know, I've done every Tony Robbins system there is. Right. I've read three Zig Ziglar books. I've done, you know, all that stuff. Because you have to, because the entire world is telling you no, you right. can't, it's not going to happen. Even if you just, it's just water you're pouring on the plant while the rest of the world is throwing sand on your seeds. It's just you have to do it. You have to be, right. the voice in your head that says I can has to be ridiculously like Hulk stronger than the voice that says you can't. Hmm. Because the voice that says you can't also has the comfort factor of sitting there and doing nothing. Right. It already it's has the, a head start. Sure does, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're ingrained with that, the yeah. kind of negativity in us. Right. We can't do it, we can't do yeah. it. Yeah, and you can. You just can. You can, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You can. Yeah, that's my, <laughs> Yes, we can. I, I've, uh, I, I said a uh, little slogan. I said, fuck you, I can. Yeah. <laughs> that was it, basically. You know? Right. That's I it. mean, and arguably that's what the yes, we can method it, yeah. was. And, it's, and it should be the carrying force. It, it should, should be. be. It should be a lot more reinforcement from the society. From, yeah, from everybody. On all fronts. I couldn't agree more because we then we'd be a lot more productive, uh, you know, environment around yeah, us yeah. and everything would be so much better. Yep. Uh, Hal Sparks. Uh, Thanks so much, dude. It's been awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, tonight over at the Tempe Improv, seven thirty and nine thirty tonight and tomorrow night. And uh, zero one is the band. Where can people find your music online? Um, uh, ReverbNation dot com is okay. where we house our kind of site, and it's uh, zero one uh, slash zero one. The word zero and the number one. If you do a search for it, it's on there. We also have a Facebook page, which okay. is zero one nation. Can I play one on the station? Of course. Okay. Yeah, so- yeah. There's uh, Mad Season. Um, uh, my cover of Shock Me is on there. We have Helsinki has a swear word in it, so just to be aware. Um, <laughs> And uh, and she waits and a couple other songs. So okay. there's some, yeah, there's some good stuff in there for you to play. Yeah. Um. And then American Psycho is the new single that's being played in the you know uh, uh, around and about. So nice. Well, um, I definitely will be a stranger to Arizona. No. Well, I want to get you back out here again. I'll have to have you on. I think again. I'll be out here with the with, with John Hugel saying. For yeah, the, the sexy poli- liberal tour. No, for the politics, sex, and religion tour. We oh, were you're just changing here. It. Okay. No, it's a different. It's an offshoot because it's just John and I. Okay. Um, 
where we talk about everything you're not supposed to talk about. Love it. Yeah. Love it. I can, yeah. When's yeah. that going to be? Uh, uh, probably in the fall. Probably, okay. uh, you know, maybe August, but I think at least in the fall. And then, uh, because I start back on Lab Rats on Disney probably mid-August. Okay. So I can only do Saturdays starting that. I'm getting my weekends doing stand-up in now while right. I'm on hiatus. Okay. So, uh, and I, and that's why the band's on tour next week, you know. Right. Because we got to go. This is my only window. And then I'm back shooting 20, 25, 30 episodes. Disney's that way. <laughs> so I'll be locked up. You, you got that. busy life, man. That's, yeah, uh, great, that's, that's so awesome. Fun. Doing everything. So fun. Well, it's yeah. good, man. You're fun to watch on TV. Yes. I mean, everything you do seems to be a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, like I said, that we could have, uh, gone into so many different avenues oh with you, but, no, uh, people can follow me on Twitter and ask me all kinds of questions about any of the stuff I've talked about. I'm, I'm, I'm an open book and I run all my own social media stuff. Oh, you do? Okay. So my, that's you. I have the Hal Sparks Fang page on Facebook. That's my fan page there. Right. It's the Fang page. The Fang? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> nice. I have fangs. Really <laughs> I got pain. Yeah, there you go. My yeah. bottom teeth. You really do, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Did yeah. you sharpen them? Nope. <laughs> There's yeah. no way they are. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I've got that on Facebook, and I run all my own social media right. stuff, So, I, and I believe in it. I, you know, My Instagram pictures are really mine. My Twitter tweets are really me. Right, I, you right. Know, I don't have an assistant do it, because I think that's stupid. If you're, if you're not going to do it, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it yeah. once again, and uh, well, uh, good luck with everything, Thanks. man. Luckily, you need it, but you always always work always helps out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, of course. Tal Sparks here on Going Global with Gas Man on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel every Saturday, one to three p.m. And that was a pretty intense interview. I'm telling you, that guy really get, gets into some serious thoughts and very smart. And it was interesting to talk about all these. You know, the the drugs and uh, the government and, of course, the hollow moon was interesting, 9-11, all that stuff. And I don't know. What do you think? He kind of makes some good points, I think. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to play a tune. I'm going to come back. I'm going to hear a, an interview that I did with Andrew Dice Clay. That's coming up next. So don't go anywhere because we also have some great music. And I'm going to play one of my favorite bands from here. They're called Miles to Nowhere. And this one is called Does Anybody Know?
From Phoenix, Arizona, that is miles to nowhere. I'm going global with gas, man, and I'm flying solo today till 3 p.m. Yeah, Matt, the intern has bailed out on me. Apparently, a video shoot was more important than to do this show, so I'll have to have a big sit-down talk with him. By the way, if you want to input your music to the show, well, you can send me an email, kevin at withgas.com. There's two S's there, kevin at withgas.com. If there's a band in your city, in your country, and you think we should play them here on the show, let us know and uh, send me an email and get us connected. We'll take a listen to the music and uh, see if it's good quality because that's what's most important, right? You get to play a tune on the show. I mean, you want to make it sound good. So, And obviously make sure the song is decent too. So we'll, have to, uh, we'll judge. Yes, I'll have to judge. I'm sorry. But uh, let me know what those bands are out there because I love to play them and get everyone some uh, exposure because that's what I'm here for, man. I'm here. Use me and abuse me for the exposure of music. Let me know what in your town and your city. I would love to play it here on uh, Going Global with Gas Man. All right, let's continue on. I did an interview with uh, Arizona Sports and Lifestyle Magazine editor Joe Orr, and me and him got together to uh, tag team Andrew Dice Clay. This is a couple years ago. He had just got hooked up with... Uh, with Entourage on HBO, and that's kind of where we started this interview off with. So you guys enjoy Andrew Dice Clay. I, I know you will be. He's one of my favorite interviews. We got the best from the East. He's the wild, crazy beast. He's comedian Andrew Dice Clay, and he's online with us right now. Andrew, how you doing, man? That was good, Cash. <laughs> what movie? What movie? Casual sex, man. That's right. You're the, you're the Vin man. <laughs> I, you know, I love that movie, and I, I love your movies. You're so good in them, and, uh, and it's good to see you back in uh, on the screen again, and you're actually working on the Entourage series on HBO. How'd you get hooked up with that? You know what? It, it just, Entourage just turned everything around, and the way it happened was such a freak thing. Because I, uh, what had happened was, you know, because of, like, you know, because of recession, you know, I was, I was just doing whatever I had to to make a living, like everybody. Right. You know, and I really wasn't out there in the public eye much because, you know, to be quite honest, I've been bringing my sons up for the last decade, and I found that more important than, you know, any kind of career moves. I went through a, you know, bad, you know, break up with the ex-wife, and, you know, I basically brought my boys up. So the entourage thing happened, like, out of the blue, I was, like I said, going through the whole recession thing, and... I was doing this small gig in Vegas just so I could sort of be close to home. You know what I mean? Right. And what happened was I went on a gambling spree <laughs> <laughs> last summer, you know, to, you know, to, so I could, you know, help pay my bills. You know, it just wasn't cut. The gigs just weren't cutting it. Like, what were you playing? Were you playing dice or were you playing uh, 21? I was playing blackjack. Okay. And I would always play a lot. ever. 
over in my life. And then, you know, you get caught up and you hit, you know, gambling means it's a chance. Right. So there was a chance we were going to lose, too. Right. And, and we did. And so I come back to L.A. at the end of the summer with my wife and my, uh, my ex-fiance, Eleanor Kerrigan, that you know. Right. And because uh, she, she opens the shows for me, Eleanor. Right, right. So, so she, she's part of the whole thing, too, because, you know, it's, it's almost like having two wives. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, yeah. you know, Eleanor is really close with me, and she really gets along with my wife, so we're mostly together all the time. So she lived this craziness, too. <laughs> so we <laughs> come back <laughs> you to didn't... L.A., and I'm like, tell my wife, I go, you know, Valerie, I'm going over to Starbucks. I don't want to know about anything. I just want to see my kid, have coffee, and hang out. And this guy, Bruce Rubenstein, comes walking up that I haven't seen, like, in 15 years. You know, so it was, like, really good to see him. He's a guy that used to work for Mickey Rourke. He worked for Mickey for, like, 20 years. Nice. He wrote the movie Bullet. Okay. And then he's sort of like... When he stopped working for Mickey, he he got he started his own construction company. So he was actually taking a break, and you know we ran into each other and we changed numbers. And the next day we were having coffee at Starbucks. Nice. And he was asking me about my life. He goes, "Dice, last time I saw you, the biggest thing in the world. And then you disappeared." I said, "You know, so I told him the story. You know what happened with my ex-wife and my sons and." He goes, let me ask you, why don't you ever do like a walk-on, like an entourage or something? I go, you know what, it never happened, and I wasn't chasing stuff like that, you know. And he goes, all I can tell you is that Doug Allen, who's the creator of Entourage, he goes, thinks you're the greatest comic in the world and wants a meeting today. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. That's great. No, but I'm going, how do you know? You know, and he goes... Because I'm emailing with him right now on my phone. <laughs> Moving fast for you, man. one email changed my my life, my career, you I, know. I and, and now he's my manager, actually. Nice. And things are just cooking. That, I mean, Doug, when I met with Doug, he said, look, he goes, I, I was at your last special 15 years ago. You know, I, he goes, I sat next to Elliot Gould when you were ripping him to shreds. <laughs> and, and Doug was a struggling comic back then, you know? Right. And, you know, and he just happens to be a giant Dice fan. So I, I nicknamed him my, my Tarantino. Because <laughs> he wanted to do for me what Tarantino did with Travolta in Pulp Fiction. I got you right. Sure. And, and it's happening. That's... I mean, I'm, I'm playing everywhere from... Cyclone Stadium in Brooklyn to, you know, the Orpheum in Phoenix now, you know, and, you know, it's funny, like, you know, they were yelling about me on the show the other and paid on that, so I was going, the guy was playing a bowling alley, like, what's the problem here? <laughs> you know, which is hysterical. <laughs> it, it was just about that, you know what I mean? Sure, sure, that's the life of a comic, man, I know. You know I, but, you know what, I never gave up on me, I always prepared for a resurgence when when it would hopefully happen with new material and you know i i wrote mostly uh i wrote a book but you know i do need some help with it i would tell you one thing if you saw how it was written right want to put it out like that right that's what i do you know i'm not good with computers right i actually wrote the book 
like a five-year-old where you write from the top of the line to the bottom. <laughs> Both sides? Capital letters. <laughs> and, and Eleanor, when I read it, when she first would read it, she told you, you have to put it out like this. <laughs> Who would ever take the time to write every letter to touch the line? She goes, they're going to put this book in an FBI file <laughs> you know, and study it. You know? it's, it's just the funniest thing how I, you know, I hand wrote it. That's hilarious. You know? That's classic. In type, you know, you know. That's who you are, man. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's funny, you know, because we got Andrew Dice Clay on the line right now, and you're driving with gas, by the way, Andrew, on uh, 106.7 FM, and you, know, you talk about, you know, you, you going back to uh, your your beginning when you started doing your comedy. Pips, you know, I think, gas. What's that? I think you start you start at Pips, right, uh, Dice? It, yeah, I started at Pips in Brooklyn. But wait a minute, it, we got to promote the gig too, right? Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely. Where, uh, where, where am I at the office? Uh September 30th, Dice. September thirtieth at the Orpheum. Yeah. I gotta remember myself. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice that you you're 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 doing some tours here and there. You're not really. Are you doing a full on tour or are these kind of just different no, special well, shows? Is, well, well, what's happened is, you know, the response from Entourage. I mean, has been so incredible that I am going to wind up now doing a full tour. Right. You know. So, but it takes time to to get it rolling the right way. So we've put certain shows on sale, like I said. I mean, the, the Cyclone in Brooklyn is a stadium. It's the MCU Park. Right. You know, and, um, and and it is crazy for me because I haven't done things like this in, you know, 15 years. This is you know? one of the classic venues here in town, too, Dice. I think you really, really appreciate it uh, uh, when you roll through. And I always love coming to Phoenix anyway. I always, you know, I nearly actually bought a house there years ago. Nice. I, I love the desert, you know, I love the hang of it, the relaxation of it. I used to go up Camelback Mountain all the time. Oh, nice. Right. Nice. You know, uh, yeah, no, I love it there. Make sure that there's all the box in the world at the show. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, they call me the strippers comic. What <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, happens is when I come there, strip clubs close down. <laughs> so, they, so the owners bring all the girls to the shows. <laughs> so, so Danny used to go, you're like the strippers comic. They all have yeah. to come see you when you perform. And, and, and how's the wife taking that? <laughs> but the wife doesn't really have any competition, trust me. Yeah, <laughs> nice. She's half my age, she's beautiful. She's, you know, she runs my merchandising. She's, you know, I went to marry her after a year if I wasn't sure of how I felt about her. I mean. Right, I got like, you. Uh, if, 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 you know what? What went on here last night, you know, we should be in jail. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's just insane. Cause oh. I turn my room into like a nightclub at night. <laughs> you know, it never gets old to me. Like my friend Wheels. I don't know if Wheels will be in uh, at the office. With I know, I know Eleanor will be at the office. Nice. Oh, cool. You know, cool. Yeah, I, I normally have a few people with me, and yeah. uh, my friend Wheels, who's also one of my opening acts for the last twenty years. He goes, he goes. When you talk about sex, you make like it's the first time every time. <laughs> he goes, he goes, it's like, there's no downtime with you. And I go, because that's what I like to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's your style, though, man. I play golf. 
Right. You know, and I use my ball for something else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what am I going to tell you? Uh, well, you know what? That's your style, and that's what's made no, you. But, but you know, the truth is, that's what I like to do. Right. <laughs> you know, and my wife is the same way, and we just connected and kept connecting. So it, over and over till one of us conks out. <laughs> but isn't that the authenticity of what you have and what you what you bring to the table that people appreciate about your about your act and your comedy is that you're, you're but, but you know you know what they really appreciate? Look, you know, on stage like I go I'm a heightened version of who I am in reality. Right. The truth of the matter is I know what animals people are to each other. <laughs> you know, and I love like when I see like you know, like when you run into a couple that you don't know well and they start telling you that little stupid story of how they got together. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe the girl starts like, oh, well, you know, I was at work and he'd look at me every day. And then and then the jerk she's with takes over for a second. Right. You know, you know how everybody has their, uh, you know, that way. And he's going, oh, yeah, so what I did, I sent her this letter and this flower you know, and, and they act all sweet, but I but I know that behind closed doors, all of a sudden, she's like, strangle me, kick me in the back, because they're animals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, tie me by my feet to the ceiling, uh, you know? No, because, because today, you know, there are no games in the bedroom. You know, it's a whole different generation. Right. You know? You know, you know, when I used to yell, treat, you know, how women walk with the pumps and the heels with the attitude, treat me like the pig that I am. <laughs> Today they're saying to you, they're the aggressors. Sure. Today they're like, I want to treat you like the pig that you are. <laughs> Today when I say something filthy to these little slobs in the front row, wearing the zebra print shirt, <laughs> you know, with, with, the, with the cheetah bra, and the and the and the alligator song, right. you know, how do they want to be treated? Exactly. What I like to do, and I don't have a problem with it. What I like to do is make fun of it on stage and bring it to the attention, like you're not alone. Right. Everybody's doing this. <laughs> All the cool kids. I mean? Yeah, you're not special anymore. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Get over yourself. No, it's it's just I bring it I bring it to the table. I I let people know how funny it is, what they do, and how they act, and, you know, sure. I'm a behavioralist. I change <laughs> the behavior. <laughs> behavioralist? And to have the little fat girls sitting in the front, you know, with with the belly just jumping up and down <laughs> and laughing, and her boobs slapping the tip of the stage, it's very funny. Nice man, nice. Uh, comedian, yeah. A- yeah. It's, uh, we have comedian Andrew Dice Clay online right now. Again, uh, nobody so, bangs yeah. like fat. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I try to reduce my experiences with that as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We all have them. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I I look at them with the fondest of memories. <laughs> uh, you know, I I'm gonna I'm not gonna tell my missed 250 pound story, but I will say that for another time. Right. But uh, yes, I have jumped on a few grenades myself before. So you went with a girl that's a little chunky. I'm oh. talking about fat girl. No, this was this was huge. This wasn't a little chunky. This was monster. I had one, and I'll never do it again. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Ever. It was a one time experience, you know. Yeah, I had one. I, I had one that was so big. I thought, you know, I might lose my life here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but what a way to go. Yeah. Dude, Dice, I had we had a, this girl. She was so fat. My friend was with me at the time, and his girlfriend. It took three of us to put her bra back on. Oh Jesus, dude! 
Jesus. And, and not only that, Dice, let me tell you this. When we were done, she had the audacity to ask me if, if we had anything to eat in the house. Oh! <laughs> and, and wait, and I'm not even done. She specifically asked for Little Debbie's. Oh! <laughs> That's hysterical. Ah. I, I Debbie. Could, I, I couldn't you believe it. You can see some cow shoving little Debbie's down her throat. <laughs> ah. A big glass of milk with <laughs> ice in it. I'm <laughs> actually mad about the ice because that's less room for the milk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a girl come out and I, I, I hid my. I ordered some Chinese food. I hid the food. <laughs> I hid the food before she got there because I didn't want her to eat it. Nice, uh, man. Chinese food is just a warm up to get there. <laughs> no, I did. Yeah. Give, I did give her an egg roll, Dice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure you did. Yeah. <laughs> nice. We have Andrew Dice Clay online again, uh, September 30th at the Orpheum Theater. Back in the day, you know, you, you know, your your style was so unique. I think your your stage presence and uh, your delivery was so different from anything else. Was that something that you were trying to do as far as stand out from other comics, or was that something that you did you see someone else doing? Did you have anybody to kind of like a role model for you? It was, it was all just original. I mean, that's, it's... it's yeah, it really was original. It was something that... You, you know what? Comics friggin' bore me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they always have. I always looked at comics like opening acts when 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 I got into comedy because I was also really aiming towards the acting field. Right. You know? And... But as I got more absorbed in comedy when I would see these guys perform, as funny as they might be, you know... They, they they have no sense of performance, right? You know they have no sense of how to really rile a crowd up, really get to a crowd, right? And you know, growing up, I, I did study rock stars. I did, you know, you know, I didn't study comics. You know what I mean? Okay. It was more everything from Elvis to John Bonham to Buddy Rich as drummers to. You know, I, I studied people that were really interesting, like guys like Muhammad Ali, even. That's, that you is know? interesting. And as I got older, the kind of movie stars I would like, that I, you know, when I would see Travolta and Stallone, you know, from Fever and, and Rocky, and, you know, I, w I would think about all this with the comedy, and I would go, you know what, I want to create the most exciting comic ever for people, because these guys with the jackets, with the patches on the, the, the elbows, you know, I, I could never say, I might as well go to work and be an accountant. Yeah. You know? You're right, you're right. It's, a lot of them are kind of boring. That's what it was. I mean, you know, even if you look like, you know, talk show hosts, uh, talk show guys like, you know, Conan or, or you know, Leno. Leno. I yeah. mean, these guys, you know, are really like nerdy guys. Right. You know, these aren't hip, cool guys. They're nerds. <laughs> you know? Right. You know, and, and it's, I'm not saying that as a put-down because the world is run by nerds today. <laughs> you know? But but the fact is, on stage, you know, these guys don't know about, you know, thrilling a crowd. They're goofballs. Right, I got you. You know what I mean? And, yeah. You know, because, you know, of what I studied growing up, I, you know, I put on my leather jacket and I just get into it. And that's how the whole thing developed. When you, you know, Dice, when you, you know, were doing, you were in your, you know, uh, heyday, if you will, and then the, the Ford Fairlane movie came out, um, you know, did that fall on your lap or did you pursue that? No, it all, it all came with, with Dice Mania. Right, right. Okay. Dice I mean, Mania. You know, which is, which is really starting, which, which is happening now. It's, yeah, that's absolutely. I was, it's, uh, it's definitely a resurgence. I want, I want to ask you one more thing about your comedy at the beginning. Um, I, I, uh, just real quick, you know, as far as the, uh, the the nursery rhymes, how did that come about? 
you know, that's something that was so weird because, you know, I'm, I'm not known as a comedian thief, you know. Right. But one night, this is many, many years ago, I'm on stage, and I was actually very close with Howie Mandel. Right. You know, who, who's just a great guy, and he is a great comic. And yes, he is. Yeah, one night I'm on stage, and I don't know, I did, by accident, I did one of his stupid things, <laughs> which rhymed, which was, Roses are red, violets are blue, I'm a schizophrenic, so am I. <laughs> right. Which, which really, he didn't even write, you know. Right. And, but, but it was in his act. That's where I heard it, you know, originally. Right. So I come on stage, and he comes over and he goes, <laughs> he goes, nice. You did my roses. My... I, know, I know the girl, you know, uh, and somebody said something in the crowd and I just said it, something like that. It, you know, it's something I didn't even think about. I go, I know, Howie. I go, I'll never say it again. Believe me. I go, you know, I don't, I don't steal material. And it wasn't an issue or anything. But what I realized is when I rhymed something on stage, it worked. Right. So I started out with a couple, I, I started thinking about the Mother Goose thing. And I don't even know why, you know, like the Little Miss Muffet, you know. So I started doing them. Next thing you know, I buy a book. I start, like, putting them together that way. And um, and that's how it happened. That's... And that's how that bit was born. And, and the rest and is history. To this day, I close my shows with it because that's what crowds came to love. Right. And, you know, it's almost like a sing-along for them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sure you get people calling out for that that bit as well. Yeah, so. boy, blue. He needed the money. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and what's crazy is it's still fun for me to do. That that's that's important you know, part, isn't it? Especially with the shows that I've been doing now. Like I was just in Atlantic City, and that was a couple thousand seats. Right. And just the mania of the crowd. I go, is this nice '88 again? <laughs> like it's overwhelming to me. What's going on? Yeah. I I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. The So it is a different medium out here, man. I'll tell you what. It, we... it really is a whole different world. So, but actually, the press has been great to me, which I'm looking at like almost is this a goof? <laughs> they've, they've written everything about Entourage that that I uh, uh, I dominate the show to I should get an Emmy for my performance. I'm going. This is the cra- and this is women writers, right? <laughs> you know, and I'm going. They're goofing on me, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. But, but you know what has happened? I, I think now when I do the interviews, and because they're letting me say who I really am, like as a person, years ago, even if I would talk about who I was off stage, they'd never write about it. Right. They just wrote about you know how how awful the act is and the the words I use and you know. And I'd be like, why'd this person spend three days with me then? Right. You know what I mean? Well, I think a lot of people realize, they need to realize that, you know, there is there is a difference between an act and the person themselves. And, uh, uh, you know, and I thank them for that, you know, because, you know, it was it was an unfair thing. Right. You right. know, and, but they're treating me great now, I'll tell you that. 
Well, that, well, that's great, man, and we're glad to have you back, no doubt about that. We do miss you, man. We love you out here, and uh, you've always been a favorite of mine. And uh, yes, Joe? Well, me too, Gas. And, I, you know, I haven't seen you since you rolled through uh, at the Celebrity Theater with Jim Norton. Uh, yes, I, I've talked to you before. Yeah, yeah, we talked uh, at that show. So I want to tell the Gas listeners here to, to tune into the magazine yes. uh, for September-October issue, Arizona Sports and Lifestyle Magazine. Dice will be featured in that. Comedian Andrew Dice Clay will be there, and you're going to rock the place, man. I know you are, man. So, yeah, it's awesome. going to be exciting. You know, sort of we live in old times, but new times now. Right. And that's, you know, that's why, that's why I never like talking about old times, because if you don't see any new times coming, it's no fun. Right? I hear you, but you got them both going on, man. And that's uh, right. We are, we are glad you're back, and it's... And it's... you guys are really great. Yes, you really... This was a great interview. A lot of guys don't know how to interview, and... You really did a good job, i got to tell you. Hey, well, thank you so much, Dice. I appreciate it, yeah, man. Thanks. You're good stuff, I'm Th- telling you. Thank thanks you. Thanks for your time. and You got it. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Dice. Take care, man. Okay. All right. All right, take care. Bye, bye, but the dice man, so much fun, man. Thank you, uh, Joe Orr from Arizona Sports and Lifestyle Magazine for that, and that website is azsal.com, azsal.com. Uh, yes, uh, we are doing some old school interviews here today, and coming up, we're going to be doing W. Kamal Bell from the FX Network, totally biased. I had a chance to talk with him a couple years ago. Prior to that show, even hitting the air, so you get a little insight on what he was like prior to making it bigger than where he was before. So here's my interview with W. Kamau Bell on his tour of Laughter Against the Machine. Enjoy. Laughter Against the Machine, a comedy, I guess a political comedy show, if you will. And we have online Kamau Bell, one of the comedians that will be performing this Saturday. What's up, man? How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Am, am I saying your name right? You are. I was actually very impressed. I'm like, you must have practiced. <laughs> well, you got the W in front, so I don't know if that's something you're using as far as the title goes. Well, no, I, that's my official title, like, you know, but, uh, you know, since we're friends now, you can call me Kamau. <laughs> right on, man. Uh, you are based out of uh, San Francisco, and you're coming out to Phoenix in a couple days, and uh, let's talk about this show. What, this is a politically charged, like, comedian uh, comedy show. Am I correct on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's political in the sense that we live in political times, so if you're fired up about some issues, it can sound political. So it's definitely an issue-oriented, issue-driven comedy show. Uh, by a bunch of uh, San Francisco or, or San Francisco Bay Area lefties. And we do the show a lot in San Francisco and in the Bay Area, and we've done it in Portland and Seattle. But we're trying to venture out into areas that are, will be different for us and to see, you know, like we're trying to go to places where there's some political upheaval happening and see if we can sort of make some people laugh who could use a laugh. We're yeah. trying to be the campfire for the revolution, basically. Uh, nice, man. Well, you know, out here in Phoenix, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of the things that we got going on here, right? What? Wait, what's <laughs> happening? I should I should get to the internet. Let me Google it. Oh my god. Jesus, that sounds horrible. Yes. <laughs> we so, are aware. That's one of the reasons of Phoenix was actually the city that sort of inspired it was that uh Nato Green, who's one of the members of the group along with uh, Janine Brito, was like he's like whenever there's something going on politically like in Phoenix with all the immigration things, like musicians always show up and do benefit concerts and try to help people or do concerts to try to help the people who are fighting and comics don't do that, you know? Right. So we're trying to be like, you know, like like doctors without borders but with jokes. You know, <laughs> right. Instead of penicillin. Well, you know, it's funny, you know, we, I mean, we could use a dose of uh, laughter out here, no doubt. I mean, considering the turmoil that's been going on uh, politically in this in this uh, in this state alone, of course, with Giffords getting shot earlier in the year. And you have, of course, the uh, SB 1070 immigration bill that was that's obviously causing a lot of controversy here. Um, we are a hotbed. So bringing uh, kind of, a, you know, where, where you're from, coming from the, uh, the old hate Ashbury area, you know, the hippie where hippie is uh, were started in a sense. 
uh, you bringing that kind of element out to pretty much a red state out here. Are, is that something you're prepared for? You, do you know what you're getting yourself into? Well, that's why we're bringing a documentary film crew with us, so we can, so that at least whatever happens, we can have a record of it to show people later. If we, uh, <laughs> if we end up not making it through Phoenix, we can at least have show the next generation of comedians what not to do. Well, you, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think that's part of the we're like part of the issues is that we're we're trying to go to places where we know we're obviously there's lots of cool liberal-minded progressive people in Phoenix, or else there wouldn't be so many. Uh, there wouldn't be people to fight the immigration issues. So we figure like those people could probably use a laugh. And if there's other people who want to come to the show, too, we'll perform for them, too. We're sort of we're not trying to cause any controversy. We're just trying to uh, bring the jokes. Where we feel like they're needed. Right. Know? Well, you know, what I think it's funny here. The, the climate and the element we hear, have here in Arizona, you know, the majority of the state is run by Republicans. But I think the the feeling in the state here in the city of Phoenix is more. A moderate, if you will, you know, I think yeah. they're just kind of being hijacked in a sense. And some, you know, the, look, my joke is this, you know, in, in uh, on February 14th, we celebrated here the uh, 99th birthday of statehood of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And by judging by the people who run this state, we could be the only one that actually acts its age. Yeah, <laughs> hey, that's a good one. Exactly. I was like, sounds like some of those people are still around. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I mean, it's it's almost like the Wild West still. You know, people want to. It's you know the nepotism that goes on in this place, and and uh, you know keeping it kind of the old school way, where I think the majority of even Americans in general want something more progressive. We're tired of kind of the antiquated system. Well, that's the thing, and I, we talk about that in the show. Like I talk about how it, with the like right now in California, we're struggling with the idea of like is it okay for gay people to be married like, like they're people, you know? Right. <laughs> and you think it's funny because in San Francisco, you know, we're surrounded by, not surrounded, I don't want to sound like we're scared, but there's, you know, we're a very gay city, obviously. And just the idea in San Francisco, we're like, no, why would you care if they get married if they want to get married? And a lot of times, like the research shows, is that the older generation are the people who keep things like that from being legal. Right. Because they're, cause they're cons- more conservative about things, and there's this thing around old people who are like, well, I don't know. When I was a kid, things weren't this way. And I was like, yeah, when you were a kid, shit sucked, all right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to swear. That's okay, man. I'll uh, get that. <laughs> yeah. When you were a kid, things sucked, you know? It's like, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. You know, it's just like – and I feel like I want to say to the older generation, when the world gets too weird for you – that just means it's time to die. All right, that's all it means. It <laughs> well, just, you know, I'm not saying you all have to die, but if the the world is supposed to change, we're not guaranteed the world we have. It's supposed to go in a more progressive and liberal direction. You know, and I couldn't agree with you more. You know, and sometimes when you do find someone in the older generation that's progressive and and isn't for you know uh, you know maybe the Republican way or the Tea Party way now, it's it's kind of refreshing in a sense to see someone that wow, you're you're a lot older than me, but yet you, you you're on, we're on the same page. <laughs> it's funny that it's surprising. Wow, you're a lot older than me, but you're totally reasonable. Right. Wow. <laughs> right. Because my mom is that way. She's totally reasonable, too. And yet she still gets upset about things. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with you. She's right. like, I don't like Kim Kardashian. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> She's not for you. She's right. not doing it for you. Right. You know, and I think that's a lot of the world is like a lot of people old and young. And I'm, I'm all for old people. I don't want any old people here to feel like I'm just talking about this certain demographic of old people. But. You know, a lot of people in the world, old and young, get upset when things aren't the way they want them to be. And it's like, well, then you can't don't leave your house. Right. Right. Because the world is not here for you. It's here for all of us. Right. Like right now in Dancing with the Stars, people are upset that Chaz Bono, uh, who's who's had sexual reassignment surgery, is now legally <laughs> a man and is dancing with a woman. <laughs> right. And it's like, 
how is that bothering you? <laughs> right. right. What, is, what is it about? They're not dancing in your living room. I mean, Chaz yeah, Bone is not knocking on your door, forcing you to right. dance with him. So <laughs> let it go. And right. that's the problem. A lot of Americans and a lot of people all over the world. I was just in the UK. There's a sense of entitlement from certain aspects of societies. And usually it's the dominant culture of the society has a sense of like what I am is what society is. And it's like, no, that's just what society has been. But societies are supposed to get more progressive and liberal. If things didn't get more progressive and liberal, it, like imagine if people didn't ever die, like if people lived forever, there'd be men alive from 500 years ago being like, why are women reading? This is right. nonsense. <laughs> right, right. We Who's keep... letting them vote? Yeah, that's, a, that's a great point. You know, I, I, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, what do you think about the word progressive and the word liberal? Is that, is that, is that you think that scares conservatives and into thinking, well, those are buzzwords and I don't like them, so I'm going to be against it. Should there be another way we, we, we uh, acknowledge it and there should be another no, term but... for it? No, because I think whatever term progressive and liberals come up with, uh, conservatives of like the Fox News type will make that a bad word. Right. Like, you know, I remember I was a kid, but I remember when liberal became a bad word. It was, I think it was the Dukakis era <laughs> when suddenly a conservative would just call Dukakis a liberal and Dukakis would be like, I'm not a liberal. You know what I mean? Like that <laughs> right. became. And I think we on the left need to not be afraid of these terms because they're not bad words. You know what I'm saying? Sure. It's just it's in it's in they become bad in the mouth of the person who wants to make them bad. Because, right. you know, you can call me my name. But if you say, come on, I'm like, ho, ho, slow down. With that. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like, so it's just we need to not be we need to not be running away from these terms on the left because they're just words that we're using to describe ourselves. And right. don't let somebody else convince you that it's bad to be a liberal or a progressive. And, you know, and that's it. You know, it's just the once, you know, people who aren't um, informed, who are maybe ignorant to the other side of things, won't even acknowledge it because they just use the buzzwords. And, well, as long as someone on Fox is saying it, that I agree with them, I'm not even going to do any background on it. I'm not going to understand it. I'm just going to stick to my side. It's almost like being a, a fan of your favorite team, that the team sucks, mm-hmm. but you're – you don't want them to get a free agent to get better or something like exactly, that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and I think that the great thing about living in a place like San Francisco is that San Francisco has a worldwide reputation for being the home of the freaks. And the reason why San Francisco is so liberal and progressive is because so many different types of people live here that you, have no, you would have no reason to be afraid of anybody based on their lifestyle because you see those people every day. Right. And eventually, if we all live together, we all learn, wait a minute, I guess those people don't have tails like I thought they did. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think that's what the world needs to get to is learning that just because you, you can be nervous around something because you don't have experience with it, but that doesn't mean you should hate it or fear it. Right, right. And I think there's a lot of people in Phoenix who I hope come out to our show at Space 55 uh, we have all sorts of ticket deals, so please, if you're like in a union, I think it's half price. And if you're fought in, for, against SB 1070, I think it's half price. <laughs> uh, but uh, and if, I think if you're a gay Latino, it's free, actually. Uh, <laughs> nice. But yeah, we have all these, you know, that people, the more people hang out together, and we really court uh, a wide demographic of an audience. So I want conservatives in there, because the more people hang out together, the more you start to realize that all these labels are just nonsense, you know. And it's not that we're all the same. I'm not saying that. We're all very different, and that's okay. But it's to but acknowledging it and letting you know and being cool with it pretty much is what yeah. it is you know and you're right getting out getting out of the house is a first step I yes. think in the in the progress of uh, getting better if you will and being and not being mad that outside of your house it's different than inside of your house right you know and there, there was something I was thinking about there was a there was an uh, an issue I think it was at Dollywood where a, I think a lesbian was wearing a shirt that said something about marriage how. I can't remember what the name of the shirt said, but it was offensive, and it wasn't even that offensive, but they took it down. I'm thinking, why is it offensive to you if they wear it? I don't understand why you're so why, – why can't you just let people just do their thing, and then you just do your thing, and we're all living happily ever after? It's the fault of computers, man. We're all so used to controlling our environment 
and it also used to deciding what we're doing, when we're doing it, and how we're doing it, that people take that attitude outside their house. And then when they don't like what they see outside their house, they go home and then write a blog about it. Right. <laughs> you know, like, instead of just being like, huh, I'm outside of my house. Right. I guess I don't control my environment. Oh, okay, I guess this is how it works. Right. And anybody who doesn't understand that Dolly Parton has a big gay and lesbian following doesn't understand a lot about Dolly Parton. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> and I mean that in the best way possible. I'm, I'm sure you do. We got Kamal Bell on the line. Uh, he's coming in this Saturday along with Nato Green and Janine Brito. Uh, Brito or Brito? Brito. 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 So I said it right. It's like Brito without the bird. Right. All right. Janine Brito coming up this weekend. It's Laughter Against the Machine. You're kind of marketing as a guerrilla stand-up comedy on America. What yes. What do you mean by that as far as uh, the guerrilla part? As far, you know, because we all know what guerrilla marketing is. How do you apply yeah. that to comedy? Well, we're, I mean, you know, like uh, we're doing this ourselves. It's, it's totally DIY. Like this is not being funded by any sort of major promoter. We actually went to Kickstarter to raise money for the tour, which we just yesterday crossed our our uh our goal and actually we're still taking donations for the last few hours if you want to continue to donate go to kickstarter and look at laughter against the machine because we sort of put a bare bones budget up there but we'd also like to be able to eat on the tour sure so but we're not trying to this is nobody's going to get rich off of this we really just want to do the shows and make the documentary about the shows just to sort of deliver something to america that shows america a different side and also shows us learning about these places because we've never been to these places or we've never done comedy in these places a lot of them so It's that's why it's gorilla because we're doing it ourselves. You so know? you haven't been to Phoenix before. I've never been to Phoenix. Um, uh, Janine has been there. NATO has not been there. But none of us have done comedy there. So this is a part of the thing. We're trying to get outside of our own comfort zone and not trying to say we know better, but just to learn and do this documentary and then incorporate that into our acts, hopefully. Right. So it's, so it's a little, basically kind of a learning uh, learning curve, if you will. Yeah, yeah, we're sort of go out there. And then after we do the shows in Phoenix, we're actually going to go to Tucson and do some things with Culture Strike which is an organization that's going to help to show us around and really get, help us get into the immigration struggle. And we're going to video some of that, too. So we're this is not like the liberals coming from the West Coast to tell you how to do it. This, right. is, the, this is the liberals going, we know, why, do, why don't we stop staying in our little town and actually go out into America and see what's going on and, that's, and, just, and actually learn? You yeah, know? Absolutely. I mean, I always think everyone should really get out of town a little bit and see more of the country and more of the world, if anything, to kind of get a feel that, you, you know, this isn't everything you know. You know, your, yeah. your hometown, there's a lot more out there. And once you see that, then you'll be more, I think, uh, reasonable to people and understand their their cultures and lifestyles are much different than yours, but yet they're living a fine, happy lifestyle. Why can't you? Exactly. And that's <laughs> what we're trying to do. We're just trying to get out there and mix it up a little bit and uh, and also promote this sort of like we're sort of trying to promote there's a style of stand-up comedy that exists. It doesn't really have a name, but really agenda-oriented, focused stand-up comedy that's very topical and passionate about its issues, but also trying to be inclusive of as many different types of people as possible. Sure. And, you know, there and there's sort of like a lot of people associate stand-up comedy with like being like some of the some of the like, you know, sexist or racist or homophobic, which it is. And <laughs> sure, sure. I think it's a it's a it's a la- it's one of the last bastions of free speech. Well, so that's all ask, fine. Ask Tracy Morgan. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and Cat exactly. Williams now. Exactly. I mean, yes. I, yeah. We're trying to go to Phoenix to clean up what he left behind. <laughs> although, although I think, you know, clearly in that clip, people in the audience liked it. It was you like know, one guy got thrown out. Everybody else cheered. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, I think you have to know when you go into a comedy show that what you're going to hear, it might not please you 100 percent. But yeah, go in with the, the you know, the, the at least an open mind to think, hey, they're trying to make me laugh. And if it doesn't work, hey, you know what? I've not laughed at someone. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to yeah, get yeah. insulted by it. I would say, ooh, man, probably, maybe a tasteless joke, but I've been around comedy for so long that I'm, I'm used to it. Other- yeah, and I think that some people go to comedy shows, and I think that 
you know, I, the great thing about the Cat Williams thing is it gets a conversation started that doesn't happen. And I think Cat Williams can deal with it however he wants to deal with it. But the, certainly a conversation came out of that about, like, should black people and Latinos have, like, a have more of a union than they do? Which I was like, <laughs> yes, we should. <laughs> right. I'm glad we got that conversation started. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm even surprised it hasn't. <laughs> you know, that, no, no, that, no. It's just, you know, it's just that that everybody generally gets in their own corner and sort of, right. like, feels like their corner is the most uh, corneriest of the corners, uh-huh. which is ironic because, you know, there's, like, White Republicans feel like we're being outnumbered. It's right. like it's not even close. No, and you and you're so right. You know, everyone, and that's just such an opposite thing to do. You need to get everyone. We need to have be all in the same corner in a sense. You know, we need to yeah, all be all on the same learn, page. It's not even about we all have to love each other. It's just about like oh, like I said, oh, you don't have a tail right. and you don't have horns. Right. Oh, all right, go about your business. Right. You're actually kind of a cool person. Yeah, yeah. yeah like or maybe you... you're a jerk, but you're a jerk. Right. Not people with your skin color. You yourself are a jerk. Right. And <laughs> and the thing is with the shows, we might we definitely push push uh, boundaries and push the envelope and we might cross some boundaries, but we're trying to do it there's a there's a one unifying view behind it. So there may be people who are offended, but we're not accidentally stepping on people's toes. You know, we're sort of like right. this, we're just trying to have a place where we can really push some new ideas out there. Right. Well, you want anyone to understand the country a little bit and kind of get a feel for where everyone's at. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, sort of, you know, it's a it's a a living breathing thing. We, I would imagine that over the course of these next four shows cuz we're going to Phoenix and Madison, Wisconsin, oh, wow. and Chicago, Illinois, and uh, and Dearborn and Detroit, Michigan. Uh, okay. Dearborn's with the highest population of Muslims. We're sort of going into places that we've never been. Right, I got you. And you know, and those are kind of hot spots anyway. Wisconsin, of course, with the unions, and you know, here we got you know we got our issues here as well. Um, you know, we, we got we got Kamal Bell online again. Laughter against the machine. You're going around the country. You're bringing this laughter against the machine show to uh, pop to areas around the country that might not be um, maybe I don't know maybe as open as maybe you think you wish. So you're kind of going against the grain a little bit into these places. What do you see as far as overall the political climate that we have here in this country? What what do you think? Do you think the majority of the country is really Tea Party style? Is it conservative? I mean, I don't see it that way. No, no, I don't see it that way either. And I want to be clear that some of the areas, like we're going to, you know, some of the areas we're going to aren't necessarily, like Madison, Wisconsin is, is has a huge liberal base. It's just right now the government of Madison is screwed up. Like, right. it's so, it's sure. Like, well, I don't think, we could have booked Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi, but we actually want to go to places <laughs> where people are fighting on our side well, and we want right. to sort of fit. Well, fan the flames of that. So I don't want people to think that we're like, they're like, what? Yeah, Madison, Wisconsin. That sounds scary. Right, right. Well, you're, no, you're not uh, going to Mississippi yet because you haven't got your uh, bulletproof vest yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, and I, have, and I have a lot of people in Alabama, so I want to be clear that I, I go to those places, but I don't generally do comedy. I think that we're going to places where there's clearly like a fight in progress, and we want to help sure. sort of, you feel like maybe they can use some jokes. But hey, that's I good... don't think the te- the the... I don't think the country's mostly Tea Party. I think the Tea Party is like a loud element right now. Yeah, I, I, I think they're, 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 they're definitely the squeaky wheel getting the grease. There's no doubt about that. And so, so we're trying to be an, a loud element to sort of fa- to sort of like be – we can be loud too. Right. I think, I think a lot of times liberals and progressives get afraid of volume. <laughs> and I think that well, that's why Barack Obama won is because he was he was not afraid of volume when he ran for president. Now a little bit. I think his volume knob is broken. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, that I, I think, agree with for sure. And, you know, yeah, his, when he ran for president, he was loud and bombastic yeah. doing a Martin Luther King Jr. impression. It was great. <laughs> yeah, now he's pretty much caving in. I mean, considering moving his speech from last night to tonight, you know, it's, it's, he's 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 giving him he's giving into these guys. And I don't I do not understand why. And I think he's losing a lot of respect around the country. And but the, and yet and yet after the Republican uh, debates last night, it's like 
I can't imagine he's afraid of any of those people. And he shouldn't be exactly. He's just maybe. <laughs> I just feel like Republicans, and because I'm not totally, I have my, I've got Republicans in my family. I know I have Republican friends. Well, that, well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I do, <laughs> uh, but I certainly have Republicans in my family. And I, so I'm not mad at Republicans. Like I think you're, you're always wrong all the time. But I will say this: you've had four, you had four years to find a new person. And these are the people. You, this is the top of the crew. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Like, I, I just feel like Republicans. Like you had four years when, because really they had about the point McCain started to fall apart. That's the point they just started looking. Right. And as much as I feel like maybe Romney's the person, I think Republicans realize that there's going to be a certain percentage of Americans, liberal and conservative alike, who are like, I don't know about this Mormon thing. Right, <laughs> and that's not cool, but I just think it's the, the truth. Well, it that. is. I mean, it's it's the rumors and again, people not really following up on what everything is about. It's it's, an, it's a bit odd. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it's not. On, and it's again it's, not learning that like it's the no tail theory again, right? Because everybody's right. afraid that they have that weird underwear that maybe there's a tail under there, and right? Not, right. But, you know, and I think that that's why it just seems to me like they had all this time to find somebody. It seems like they could have built the perfect candidate, right. You know, by now, and right. they really, it's like. Really, Rick Perry? I mean, <laughs> well, he sounded like he was doing a George W. Bush impression, which I was like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> not, you know, you, you got to wonder, man. I, I sometimes think that our, our country really – that we we are part of Springfield, you know, out of the Simpsons. I mean, that we yes. just we just we eat where we're served. We just kind of deal with it, and if we get upset, we kick somebody out. Then someone gets replaced, and it's the same BS over again, and over again, and over again. It's just it's a broken record, you know, and nothing seems to be breaking through. Maybe your show might do that. It might bring some awareness to, you know, be, you know what I was going to say is that conservatives. You know they do bark louder than 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 liberals, like you said. You know, and in, I would say more uh, liberals and and progressives will be more not maybe progressive, but liberals are more just maybe lackadaisical, just you know, okay with it. They're not really I eh, eh, whatever. I'm cool with it. It's not a big deal. You know what I mean? That kind of attitude. Yeah, yeah like where, I think well, I think liberals also the cons- the leaders of the Republican Party did a great thing probably around. I mean, it was probably before ten years ago, but certainly after nine eleven, where they basically said. If you all conservatives have to line up behind God and country and it sort of gave the left, the right, these two, these two issues that do you like God? Yeah. Do you like country? Yeah. Then you like getting taxed. Wait right. a minute. Right. <laughs> like, right. And so they, they sort of created this idea. But it, God and country sort of pushes every idea. Liberals don't have any unifying ideas like that. You know, they don't have. Right. Two, I'm all about recycling. Well, I'm all about ending the war. Well, I'm, I'm all about vegan shoes. <laughs> and it's like there's not enough. We don't. That's why Barack won is because finally liber, liberals and progressives lined up behind one idea right. of this dude. And I, whether, I don't think it's going to be the same way in the next election, but I do think that Republicans are going to have a hard time with the cast and crew they've they busted out with. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, like, who, but who wants that job, too? You know, who wants to go up yeah. against that? It's, it's going to be an interesting uh, time, no doubt about that. And Kamal Bell online. Dude, thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. You got it, dude. Thanks a lot. A truly cool dude, W. Kamal Bell. And uh, that's going to pretty much wrap it up for us on Going Global with Gas Man today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed what we heard today. Hal Sparks, Andrew Dice Clay, and W. Kamal Bell for today. Uh, the next few weeks, we're going to get uh, Zero Zero in studio, a, a band from Phoenix, Arizona. And we'll also be uh, having, I know soon, Soul Tribe is a band from San Antonio. They'll be in town. I think it's coming down in, in July. So a lot of bands will be on their way. And uh, we're going to leave the show with uh, a little... 
fun game I played with, because we're not doing porno music or not today, I'm sorry guys, but uh, we're going to play Drugs or Sushi with comedian Harlan Williams. So this will take us out. You guys enjoy your day, and we'll talk to you next week here on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel, and thank you for going global with gas, man. I, I do a game on my show. It's called Drug Code. Right? Okay. And you know when you, you know when when people order drugs, they're druggy. They're using code okay. for the drug, right? So okay. So I, I'm over at a sushi place, and I'm eating sushi, and I'm reading all the the things on the sushi list. I'm thinking some of these names of the sushi kind of reminds me of maybe some drug code. So I want to play with you. Is it drugs or is it sushi? Okay. Beautiful. All right. You ready? Yeah. White blossom. Sounds like drugs. <laughs> you going with drugs? Yeah. It's sushi. Oh, come <laughs> on, because I snorted some of that the other day, and now I realize I snorted a white fish. Bro. <laughs> uh, how about I got uh, scales in my nasal cavity? <laughs> um, all right, what about uh, firecracker? That's sushi. That's sushi. Yes, you were right on that. Um, dragonfly. That's drugs. <laughs> that's sushi. Not my neighborhood. <laughs> <today>. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> well, thanks for playing drug or sushi, and you can play it along at home <laughs> when you're out eating sushi and pretend you are ordering drugs from your drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> Wow.